Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. You know, Kato, you would think for two people who podcasted for two hours, just holding down the fort alone mm-hmm. uh, in the middle of the afternoon, you would think somewhere in that window, if there were going to be like breaking news in the games industry, it would have it would have dropped during yeah. our recording session. It was two and whole we hours. could have reacted to it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but in the nature of things, no sooner had we wrapped and been like, hey, we did good, hey, good on us. We did a two hour show. Yeah. Uh, just just the two of us hanging out. <laughs> And then I think literally I went and I got a, another glass of water, came upstairs, mm-hmm. and everyone was like, E3's canceled. <laughs> and I couldn't read what the deal was because apparently it was uh, the, the initial report was from Rev Valentine over at IGN. Uh-huh. And everyone was trying to read the report simultaneously so you couldn't get to IGN. Oh, wow. Uh, which makes me wonder, like, did they lose their entire scoop uh, traffic? Yeah. <laughs> because, like, their their site crashed uh, as uh, from, from the report. Damn. But, yeah, so, uh, like, Rev had sources before the official announcement came through from uh, the ESA. But E3 uh, 2023 is not happening, and mm-hmm. there was nothing in their statement that says, well, we're going to try again in E3 2024. Uh, the, you know, the, the, the key things coming out of the statement are that it, you know, the 2023 version, uh, to quote Reb, uh, simply did not garner the sustained interest necessary to execute it in a way that would showcase the size, strength, and impact of our industry. <laughs> So I think, Kata, we may have attended the last E3. I think we did. <laughs> My first E3 was the last E3. And, you know, I didn't want to... I didn't, I didn't really think then. Like, I thought, surely they'll just keep... This will limp along for a few years. And uh, But it was clearly limping. It was absolutely limping, yes. It was so obviously like there were, there limping. There were moments... There were moments you could not conceal the degree to which this thing was gut shot. Yeah. You know, I, I remember when I think we all wanted to like take a load off, uh, you know, and, and just take a little break, but like ample places to like, well, so actually, no, many, not so many places lounges. to sit. <laughs> yeah. Like there, there are a lot of lounges, but yet like still could be a little bit tough finding seating. But yeah. if you didn't need a seat, you could simply avail yourself of the acres of empty floor space uh, that were in every <laughs> exhibition hall. And that seemed that seemed like a very bad sign. Yeah. Uh, so. I have like I think with, like a lot of people, I definitely have mixed feelings uh, about this, 
because and we we talked we talked through E3 stuff before yeah. here on the show like it's easy to bash E3 it was often a very tacky uh you know old school event that showcased a lot of like shitty gamer culture from the 90s and also the ES like the ESA was not good at running an event like this but at the same time like I can't help but E3 was kind of killed because all the major stakeholders were like, we're just going to do our own thing around E3, but we're not going to take part in it. Yeah. And that always sort of like that rankled a little bit. But I think the the, the bigger thing that I'm like kind of uh, a little bit sad about is, you know, that, you know, it's that thing where it's like, um, <laughs> it's like a whole format of like tweet almost where it's like uh, you don't you don't miss uh like boom boxes you miss being 19 or something like that sure, like things yes. like that yeah, yeah yeah that whole that whole <laughs> format of you you don't miss x you you don't miss college you miss being uh in a walkable space tailored to your needs yeah i think i have a little bit of that with e3 which is that do i necessarily miss e3 or do i miss the kind of industry that needed a big like industry showcase like this where you would have in addition to the big tentpole uh, releases and the major publishers, a lot of smaller shops and a lot of like weirder stuff there at the margins sort of shopping their wares. Yeah. And I think this is the, this is the thing that like, I probably really miss with E3 is that in its past few years, it really, it didn't, it didn't need to exist because what were the big publishers going to show you is the, their narrow slate of releases that everybody already knows about. Right. There was less and less to talk about when it comes to who won E3 or what were the big release schedules coming up. So many things are cross platform. Like it just, the industry isn't really set up to require a thing like E3 anymore, but I think an industry that requires something like E3 is also maybe a slightly more dynamic place. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. Right. There's a little bit more like, I don't know. It feels like, um, you know, we've moved past the stage of uh, these companies fighting each other and now they're just trying to eat each other. <laughs> right. The industry is big enough that acquisition is like kind of the name of the game versus like the idea that the big three at least are like in direct competition, you know. Uh, yeah, and even the ones that can't eat each other, it's then then it's kind of like uh, cutting up Cuba and Godfather Two, right? <laughs> where it's where it's kind of like in here areas where we agree not to compete, right? Yeah, and yeah, so like I like I think E three like is kind of it's so tailored to a few weeks ago on um Brad uh, Brad and Will have a tech pod. Mm. Uh, they were going through the inaugural issue of Boot Magazine, which I think was like a predecessor to like Maximum PC or something like that. But it was wow. like a very 90s enthusiast uh, PC mag. Uh-huh. Uh, and like a lot of people wrote. Yeah, it was Maximum PC. Uh, that's what that's what Boot turned into. Mm. But they were sort of like leafing through it on the podcast and reading all the weird ads and coverage and. The thing about it that you sort of find in a lot of those old game mags is that there's a lot like this, this is especially true in tech of the time. There was kind of this idea of 
you find some sort of serviceable niche, you build a product for it, and then you bring it to market. Mm-hmm. And hopefully the people who like I, who are in that niche are like, I'm all in, right? I dig right. it. Right. And I think I think the games industry is kind of a similar in a similar boat. And now in the same way that like tech things have condensed down to, you know, there's like three major phone manufacturers, et cetera. Uh, you know, you're good. Most people will make do with one of the offerings there. Uh, it, it kind of feels like something's happened in games where it's, there might be all these little niche audiences, but everyone's going to gather around for the old open world shooter or adventure game. Sure. And like those, uh, those genres just tend to reach further, I guess. Yeah. yeah yeah you found you found the uh the boot magazine product review scale <laughs> yeah one to yeah. ten with ten being the best only the only product to receive an 11 rating was half-life 2 <laughs> they gave that shit an 11 <laughs> that's amazing uh yeah. magazines were a whole different fucking time well i think i think maybe that is another thing that ties into it is that the media industry doesn't even support a thing like E3 anymore because right. like the minute we right. could tell who was reading what coverage and the minute it turned into like you have conversations about like hey like no one's gonna read this mm-hmm. like if it's if you're talking about staff it's like is it worth staff time to commit to this but especially when you're talking about freelance stuff is it going to be worth the time to commission and edit a piece about a thing that is just not going to find meaningful audience right and so the minute we had access to that data like I think the ability to even chase down weird stuff at E3 or or places like it really diminished as well. Right. Uh, and and so like you know you you end up in this place where it's kind of self reinforcing where the industry increasingly services like mass markets and the media increasingly is disincentivized from discussing anything beyond mass markets. Right. And so what is the value of any three? I think the real value of any three was probably for those people who were bringing stuff to like Kentia Hall back in the day. And those those days are done um, and those companies are gone. But like, you know, we, when we did the Guitar Hero retrospective uh, that Blake Hester wrote for us, um, E3 looms large in that because that was a you needed to get that thing in front of people right. and you needed to generate word of mouth. And I think that. I don't know. Maybe, maybe like things like PAX could fill that role these days. But you know, at least back then, uh, E3 was a pretty crucial, uh, you know, portal for companies like trying to bring something new to market. Right. So it's it was. Well, yeah. I mean, it was just like a completely different way of people receiving information, right? Like because it was still industry specific. Like the only people who were getting that news directly for a long time were you know the industry people that could go but then yeah. like as soon as like they started they started doing like okay we're gonna broadcast these videos right like i remember yeah. like watching uh stuff online and being like it's like i'm really there <laughs> or like i'm getting the same information that i would like on next week's episode oh, like, yeah. the e3 issue of whatever magazine i would have picked up like as a small child um it's now just it's all blasting directly to me right like that's the big thing really that i feel like started the the decline of a need for it is that that information is just now getting spread directly to the to to the to the 
um, intended art, like the, the, the target art yeah. audience directly from the companies. Uh, yeah, like, and I, I think like I think, and even like the word of mouth thing is like streaming culture and you know streamers being like the place where weird things get randomly picked up and get a giant boost more so than any other like print like you you like you know you you go to uh uh articles and new for news and like insight into the industry more so than like this new cool this new neat weird thing right new neat weird things get picked up and only get spread on accident by if a random streamer picks them up yeah yeah and like i i think there were a lot of um you know, I remember God, it might have been E3 2018 where some of the easiest and most fun work we did was like us sitting around watching the trailers so that we could prepare to pot. We would like have our dinner and then we would run over to the table and podcast about them. And that was that was the day. And there was there was like not a whole lot to do on the show floor once you'd had that sort of shotgun blast of trailers. Right. Uh, to You know, to your to your point, uh, the the especially because I think because a lot of publishers could feel more confident in what they were releasing, or at least uh, did not feel as concerned about getting mindshare. There was less and less to actually see and touch and like discuss at the, at at the three show floor. Uh, So it became like a, a tougher prospect from a from a coverage uh standpoint as well but you know the the funny thing is e3 is still uh like so e3 is dead the whole like esa thing that you know booked out the los angeles convention center that is gone uh but jeff Keeley's summer game fest (laughs) lives in what used to be the e3 window and it is, you know, he he posted like the minute they actually made that announcement, he sort of posted a uh, it's not quite the, uh, you know, the video of guys dan- like dancing with the casket. But uh, it's closer this- to the the guy kneeling down next to a grave yes. and giving throwing the peace sign. It's more. Yes. Of, yeah. Uh, Here's 15 year old me at the first ever E3 in 1995. E3 meant so much to me and to so many of you too. Four years ago, I realized E3 wasn't evolving as it needed to compete in a global digital world. So we started building what's next. See at Summer Game Fest, June 8th. So, and that is a picture of Jeff with with Duke Nukem. Duke Nukem. (laughs) An An actor playing Duke Nukem. Yes, exactly. Um, uh, yeah, and it's, well, like, Summer Game Fest 2 is really interesting just because it, it ends up being less of the big companies who are just going to do their own thing anyways, and more, you know, like, a mix of, like, the, like, I don't know, I don't know if this is a real term, but, like, I think of, like, double A, right? Like, just under, like, they're not part of, they're not already owned or being published by the biggest publishers yeah um and they're willing to they're still they're still in that that space that they'd like the extra platform of being collected with a bunch of other games right um it's less the big the biggest titans kind of being like the draw as much as like oh 
this is where I can find out about um, the next, like, I don't know. can't think of a good example of a game that fits this, this specific space, but, like... Or, like, Destiny, right? They're not technically owned by, uh, yeah. I mean, they're owned by Sony now, but like at the at a at a certain at the certain point, like you would you could get Bungie news at that yeah. sort of thing, right? I am really curious what, like to to a degree, Summer Game Fest is going to be really interesting this year because what's going to be with E three sort of not happening yeah. right now. But the but the weird thing is though that. Even though we're still months away from E3, this is kind of late to react to E3 disappearing for some people running an event. Now, admittedly, like Summer Game Fest, Keeley have been sharpening knives for this day for for ages. Yeah. But I'm actually really curious what like the 2024 version of Summer Game Fest looks like when everyone is just sort of living in this reality where there's not going to be an E3. Right. There's not even any pretense that there might be an E3 happening. And so does this end up turning into something a bit more akin to E3. Do we start seeing more of those? Because, uh, because like Game Fest has been this mix of the like biggest tent, biggest tent releases and then like smaller showcases. And I'm curious if we see it get completely embraced, uh, if such thing were possible by major publishers and, uh, like franchises yeah. or if it turns into more of a uh, constellation of like small affiliated yeah. showcases and uh, you know, smaller publishers. Um, it's weird. It's like, possible. It does both. Right. It, it's weird to me too. Like, cause I, I don't even associate those bigger tent poles with it because it's usually like, this is the second time we're getting to see something. <laughs> Uh, aside yeah. from like the game awards, right? But that's like a different thing all the time. I feel like there's less world premiere, like actual new stuff. It's more like we've seen this game before. Here's a slightly different trailer, uh, and and there's slightly more footage, maybe. But it's usually not, yeah, the newest thing from the big from the biggest publishers, at least. Um, yeah, sure. I guess like when I'm when I'm thinking about the, I'm thinking of the things that like uh, Keely ends up producing. Uh, alongside uh-huh. you know what i mean right. like there's like game also awards game, where, game awards which right like the 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 production behind game fest also produces stuff like like the world premiere, world premiere. at game <laughs> yeah so i am i am very curious what the what game fest uh looks like because as yeah. much as these companies are like ah hell with it we want to do it ourselves or we, we can do it ourselves yeah i'm not sure they do want to because they don't, you know what I mean? Like they don't have, uh, they all have to an extent events departments and yeah. talent they can book, but sure is a hell of a lot easier. If someone is sitting there with something closer to turnkey, they right. can just be like, can you, uh, Hey, summer game fest, can you throw together EA's summer game fest, uh, celebration or something like that and yeah. call it a day. So I'm, I'm really curious what uh, summer game fest turns into. And also like if we see more of an, uh, more of an effort to create like a memorable venue experience around this thing as well. Um, right. That's a, that, I think that's the thing that is actually the least likely to come back. In my yeah. in my view, right? Like it's just 
the, the that sort of information gets out in different ways now. You know, publishers will have if they really want to give you a hands-on parsec exists to a certain degree. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. not the greatest, but there, there's still like I don't know. We're still doing random. I mean, I am at least me and Ren because we live in New York. We'll still get pulled out to a hands-on here. We um, right. So, but you know, for people in other parts of the country where they're not going to necessarily fly someone randomly out, Parsec kind of gets the job done. And, it does. And it's like, do they put in the effort then to, if it's centralized, I guess, is the is the point, right? Like, there'll be more people going to one central thing, but like that was already E3 and they were already pulling out. So like. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, it's a funny thing. It's a funny thing too, because you're right. Like I think people like the optics of a big, trade show teeming with people right but e3 only ever had that because one like there was a lot of media there and then also there were so many people from retail uh and various like mom and pop retail chains that existed back then that were like you know going this was a big event Mm -hmm, that was relevant mm -hmm. to them and so it never really had that and was that was that like due to just like the way the distribution worked, like were people actually yeah. like specifically buying only certain games to put up in their store or like, Oh yeah. So if, um, so I remember when I was listening to uh game for windows radio and like one up, uh, one up yours, like they would talk a lot about like, it was the waning days of the retail wars, but mm-hmm. you know, in the two thousands, your company lived and died by the amount of like square footage that Walmart was going to dedicate to your game. Right. And so like, but that was, but that was even there, that was sort of at the sort of tail end of a lot of consolidation, right. Where it's like Mm -hmm. uh, people like from Walmart and target, they were like the Kings of E3. Cause it's like those people making purchasing decisions for here's how much we're going to stock at our stores. Right. Here's what our retail, like, set aside is going to be for for these products Mm -hmm. all this stuff was hugely important but you know e3 like is originally there servicing an era where you also had tons of small hobbyist shops uh that that were there right like the Mm. the small little computer store that also sold a couple games right uh you know the thing like things that were sub electronics boutique grade uh before all that stuff started getting gobbled up right and that like there were so many of those folks there that E3 had this vibe like between the people showing products and the media people and then the retail people who were coming in from all over. It had this vibe of like a really thriving trade show. Mm-hmm. And so it could look superficially like the sort of crowds you see at PAX. Right. But obviously, like, you know, things like PAX run on panels uh, you know, fan meetups, yeah. et cetera. Um, and the minute that retail stopped, there stopped being as many retail outlets and retail stopped being as important, like in, to a large degree, E3's, uh, you know, reason for being kind of went away. So like that, yeah. that is why that show uh, took the form it did. Right. Um, yeah. So I don't, I don't know if like, you know, there actually isn't a tradition of like a big, let's show off all the new games uh, convention being a huge hit with like people coming to see it. 
it was always kind of a byproduct of this is how major like business decisions were being made. Mm-hmm. And the whole fan convention thing approaches it from a completely different angle. And right. so I kind of wonder like what summer game fest ends up looking like, uh, you know, in a year or so. Yeah. Yeah. Curious. I, I, I really would be super, I would be surprised if they try to do an in-person thing, but I feel like it would, it would, it, it feels in my mind like we could see Summer Games Fest at PAX, at Gamescom, I guess. Like the brand being associated with specific events at things that already exist, right? Because, yeah. like you were saying, it's a lot easier if somebody's already done the legwork of getting one of those set up and running and being stable. Although, Read Pop, uh, did you hear yeah. about uh, the CEO of Read Pop? Uh, you know, just leaving. No. Uh, oh. Yeah, the CEO left this week. Oh, I, earlier this week, I believe. Um, yeah, new. Um, let me see if I can find it. Well, yeah, this, it was just you like, would think this would have made bigger news. Well, it was kind of hidden by the E three. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Read Pop President Lance Fernst. Uh, Fensterman is stepping down from the company following a 17 years tenure. Okay. So, you know, that was right before the E3 news dropped, which, yeah, you know, both of those things in, in one week don't bode super well for that company. But- Maybe. I, I do kind of wonder about this, too, because it, it, we are always in this weird vibe of, like, people, like, things have gone back to, you know, quote-unquote normal. Sure. But also GDC and PAX East ended and I see tons of people being like, yo, I got COVID. Right. <laughs> and this was also like I had friends who were in town for uh, for PAX East who just come from GDC and they're like, hey, we should hang out. And these people I love. Of yeah. course, I want to hang out with these people. Uh-huh. And also I'm like, y'all are coming from a convention where people just like crowd into a small convention center and then talk loudly into each other's faces at parties yeah, yeah. for a week. And now you're here at PAX East and it's like, I don't know if this is a good idea. And I, and I do think like there's, there's going to be people who are like, I accept these risks. I'm happy to go to convention. There's also going to be a lot of people now for whom there's a threshold that like an event like this just doesn't clear. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, it, it, you know, there, there's a headwind now on like doing live events that there wasn't before. You're right. Um, And like, yeah, those are the ones that exist and like survived the pandemic, the survived the quote unquote pandemic that's not over yet, like would be much easier to like kind of attach yourself to one of those than to try to spin something else up where it's like now there's another thing to go to. Like you're saying another one of these where there will be a lot of people gathering. It's like I've already people have already picked their like. This is this is my one if they're at that threshold, you know. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> like people are going to PAX because it's like my friends always go to PAX. Yeah. So I will be a PAX. Yeah. But they're not like, you know what I need in my life is another games convention. Right. <laughs> not itching to go to another one of these if unless I absolutely need to. <sighs> yeah. So that's that's all she wrote for E3. Uh yeah. it, you know, that is a what a long, strange trip it has been. Uh, I guess I'm, we will see what. <laughs> it's still so funny to me. This is like the first one I get to go to. Finally, I, I've been watching all these uh, ex, um, uh, conferences oh. from uh, from my home 
and now I get to be at the conference. And it's like the and last con- one it- possible. And we also did all of our watching from the Airbnb, <laughs> which is like fine. Like the, the, it didn't make sense to go in. No. But it was just like very funny. It was like that was the ex- like that's also been immortalized because no clip was there. Which yep. I also think is hilarious that that now became like a that's that was the last E3, not just Hold on. any E3. What? Kato, oh. edit this out. I have to answer this. Okay. Hold mark here. Hello. Yeah, baby. AV therapy called. <laughs> They've got my prescription. It's the LG OLED flex. Oh God, you're fucking. Flex flexible TV that you're gonna sit five feet five inches away from is here. All right, no. no, here's the thing. Actually, can I give you my can I give you my case for it? Sure, sure. Okay. So the office is not going to just be for like me working at my desk. Like I am right. going to put up a little like lounge chair. So if I like want to like do some reading, uh, like the the big issue yeah. we have right now is when I'm working, uh, or like if I'm playing games on consoles, mm-hmm. I block out the living room. Right. And so this sort of gives MK more access to the living room uh-huh. to, to hang out. And the other thing is that there's going to be a lot of times where, like, I will want to sit a little farther away from, like, I'll, you know, want to lounge. You want to lounge so, in the chair, yeah. There's your, yeah, exactly. there's your sit forward games and your sit back games. And you want to have both options in one space. Right, without necessarily having to, like, leave the office and go to a place where yeah. things aren't set up. So that's that's the the real, like... Uh, purpose okay. of this thing, and the fact it comes okay. with speakers built in also means I don't need to like run headphones. And the fact the that it room. it bends, which probably adds like easy, like another I don't know how much to it. So the bend. <laughs> so I saw some people say that the bend actually does help it like perform better as a monitor. Uh-huh. I am not sure, but I'm I'm open to that. Uh, sure, sure. But I, I mean, it's, it's mostly like. It's checking an awful lot of boxes for this space. It's like uh-huh. one of those things where, like, a C2 could have gotten the job done. And a perfectly fine, like, 42-inch TV, you know, it's it's good. It would have worked. But, uh-huh. like, this is kind of the weird thing where it's like, this is actually kind of perfect for this space. <laughs> it's, like, not, it's not, like, kind of sort of the right thing. It's, right. like, the exact right thing. And to replace it would require, like... Three or four things that would be like just a little less ideal for how I want the space to be. So mm-hmm. here we here we go. Now Amazing. I will feel like the biggest fucking asshole in the world if within a year of buying this thing, I'm like adjusting the flexion. And suddenly I hear like crunk. <laughs> and two things. Either the gears stop uh-huh. or they crunch the screen. Okay. Like, so actually I hadn't realized things. whether uh so this is this bends mechanically through a motor. Yes. Oh. <laughs> this is, now, there's now uh, someone else has a bendable screen that bends with your hands. Right. Uh, yeah. This, this is usually what like, I think of. Honestly, is just like it'll it'll bend with flexion and it'll something that snap into place to like hold it there. Yeah. But you've got like another piece of machinery back there. This is another point of failure. <laughs> It's a little concerning. But I, could, but I could see the machinery also keeping the screen safer in that process because it's going to yeah. like do it at a like very cautious rate. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. But yeah, I, like, I, <laughs> dude, I'm fully aware that like there is some inherent risk oh, to this. Yeah. But also I'm like, this is like, like every review I like saw of this thing was like, this is really cool, but who the fuck is it for? 
And then me building out my office, I was like, oh shit. It's it's for me. It's for me. <laughs> this is my yeah, hole. It's, it's me. <laughs> uh well I'm glad you'll we'll soon have it in your space and we can uh we can all enjoy watching the glow emanating from the back of it, bouncing onto your onto your video feed. <laughs> You're gonna have to put like the old webcam up in like a surveillance position so that like we can cut to like Rob's office cam. Oh my god, that would be so funny! Oh, I would love that. (laughs) Just multiple, yeah. Let's get different angles on the office. (laughs) Just incredible, incredible shit. So, uh, yeah. Uh, Anyway, so to. To wrap up, the thing the thing I would say, Kato, is it was shocking. You know, you said you could feel that E3 was was kind of already uh, yeah. The Walking Dead when you were there. The shocking thing is how fast it died. Like, yeah. I feel like just back in like 2017, 2016, it still felt like a big trade show. Yeah. It still felt like a huge thing uh, that was that was going. And then it was like the the drop off for the year you were there was like shocking it was yeah. you know it was just the way of things right like things do not gradually linearly decline to a trickle it's like they hit a point and then they go over a cliff and they're done right and that was like midway through the free fall but it was it was shocking the speed at which it happened i don't know i felt um, like i felt it feels to me like if the pandemic hadn't happened they get oh, two more years out of it <laughs> Like twenty twenty three is still the year it dies, but they 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 like or through momentum re- pop partnership they do figure out a way to salvage it in some form right like if right. if if the pandemic doesn't happen maybe they can stand up more of a fan oriented convention right but they just didn't have time to do it no and like and they were was, going to make that change in the pandemic right yeah. like I I feel like the pandemic definitely was the nail in the coffin that just final one done because otherwise i was like yeah when i was there it was it was like i've been to conventions i like tend to try to check out uh new york comic con when i can because it's like the biggest one here that kind of covers a lot of things and um the like the telltale sign is always like dead floor space it's just like there's you could get something here uh if you're doing your job right <laughs> like, like the fact that people don't want to be here enough for you to fill that space is you know i mean that's that's a that's a that's a already a death knell just from like uh the big the the big like people that are the draw of the show don't want to be here but even like you couldn't figure out some other vendor like to i don't know there was already so many g fuel <laughs> like stops and you were already doubling down on uh those sorts well, of things like, across the way and it's like there was like an entire half of a convention hall yeah that was like the hall of peripherals it was like going through the like it was like going through moma but for gamer shit oh my god i don't like think i even little- saw that where was that? Oh no! So it was. So this was the other thing because they were sort of obscuring how much space was empty. Yeah, they had curtains dividing a ton of these spaces to kind of conceal. Uh-huh. The, like there were huge voids in right. the conference halls. Uh, but yeah, like through like in one of the convention halls, you entered a place where it was like, you know, like an air, like a, like an aircraft hangar, and it was all full of like 
here is Logitech's uh-huh. controllers. Here are like three different, uh, you know, lines wow. of keyboards from keyboard manufacturers. Uh, and like it, some of the stuff was really self-important, like uh-huh. things sitting in like trimmed in LED light white boxes <laughs> uh, so that you like under glass. Yeah. So that you could like examine them like they were exotic creatures but like brought back by an expedition it was like we found we we found this spectrum lit uh mechanical keyboard with cherry mx blues uh and it can be yours for three hundred dollars and that was that was the vibe it was a very very strange extremely uh stadia What was that? The Stadia like mini museum vibes, right? Right, right. <laughs> that that, that uh, Frank Faldi, uh, yeah, like yes. put together that that, that <laughs> exhibition. It was a cool exhibition uh, tied to a thing that was, um, yeah, clearly headed to the gallows. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah. So I like I think, but but again, even there, like I think this is a. To that point, like when, when Patrick was talking about like the plight facing uh, like VR, for instance. Yeah. Everyone is up against this problem of like, we have cool ideas. Right. But nothing is like viable unless you hit a really high critical mass now. Yeah. And if everything needs a high critical mass, it doesn't need a trade show like E3 anymore. Right. Um, that's not that's not what we're set up to do. But yeah, so you you were there at the end. Uh, yeah, I got you, attended, one. <laughs> you attended the deathbed. One and done. Yeah. Oh, man. They came, they saw, they killed me three. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, with that, I guess we will get into the rest of the show. What's good, Internet? It's March 31st, 2023, and you are listening to Waypoint Radio, episode 554. I'm your host, Rob Zachney, and today I am joined only by Ricardo Contreras. Only? There's no one else here. They left us holding the bag. We can do whatever we want. Shit. Uh, quick. Uh... Nope. Play a bunch of games for coverage. <laughs> yeah. Be more interesting. <laughs> uh... Oh, no. Be wittier, chattier, uh... Yeah, I have so, to talk more. Space or fill up the space. Uh, there's a bus outside my window. My or we could experiment with short form podcasting. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yes, we I'm could, <laughs> like people have often said, like you know, like you know, when you got people saying, like, "Oh, I listen to you guys at two x speed." Clearly, something is wrong. Uh, so maybe we or could try out like the, the one star <laughs> speed, uh, the one star runtime. <laughs> oh. so it's a great show, everybody. The, what's funny is that I, there's definitely people out there who it doesn't matter that it's whether it's long or not. They're just trying to get to as much content as they want. So they're going to listen to 2x anyways, which to yeah. me, I cannot. I can't. I, my, I've got. What's your what's your cutoff? My cutoff is it one. I can't. On show. I can't do any of it. I can't. The second people oh, sound fucked up, my brain is like, don't. No, I hate the way it ruins <laughs> the music on every podcast. Yeah, like, yeah. Every, like the minute like you hear the theme song and it's just like and it sounds like a cement mixer running and you're like, what happened to that jaunty little ditty? And it's like it, it falls apart. And it's sped up. That's not that's not good. Uh, but 
No, I think so. There, there's some shows I can definitely listen to all the way up to like 1.5. Um, mm. Like a very few where it's like I really understand the host. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the guests tend tend to have like uh, you know pretty consistent. It tends to be a consistent panel of guests, and like nobody has an accent I struggle with. Right. Once the the minute you are in like there's going to be a lot of people whose cadences I'm not familiar with. And then you toss in accents. It's like, okay, going to have to bring it down to (laughs) 1.2 and then we will see how this is, how this is going. Uh, But I have, yeah, I I mean, you know, I have the ADHD. I have the kind though, that when listening to something and trying to do something with uh, my hands, it's like that works 80% of the time. And then 20% of the time I will blank out and be like, shit, I haven't been listening for the last, like, minute. I had to go back. That would just be worse if I was listening faster. <laughs> I'd be missing, I would be blanking out on even more podcasts that I have to go back to listen to. <laughs> yeah, it does make it tough when there's, like, uh, shows that are dense enough with stuff I actually want to, like, take in. Yeah. That suddenly it's like, oh, I need to back up for five minutes because, <laughs> like, I just didn't didn't catch enough of that. Uh so uh, this this week everyone is on vacation. It's just you and me. Uh, yeah, we you know we're we're just hanging out, guys being dudes, uh, <laughs> playing video games occasionally. Uh, sometimes, so, so sometimes we've been known to get up to that. Uh, so, Kato, I actually just wanted to start with you because you are the only person here. So, who else would I start with? Except yeah, myself, yourself. Uh, but <laughs> you highlighted a game here called Drop uh, from New School Microprose. Yeah, uh, Drop uh, System Breach is a, is a hacking game that I've been enjoying. Um, and uh, unlike some, like, you know, a lot of the Zachtronics hacking stuff has been yeah very, like, there's, like, two modes that it, it operates in. Um, like, there's the... Uh, um, what's, the oh, what's the word for the, the, the one that's, like, actually hacking? The one where you actually write code. Uh, well, there, the, the, there's a couple where you actually, because I know you write exp- code in Shenzhen IO, right? That's right, right. effectively like inputting, or you are inputting code command chains. Yeah, in yeah. That. Exa, Exapunks was the one I was thinking yes. of. Um, and, or the, uh, the um, uh, we have a bunch of machines and ways to control input and output to to these machines that you will then that will then give you something programmatic in nature um and then there's the like this is about kind of what i like to call hacker feel (laughs) just like how much does it feel like you're a guy wearing shades saying i'm in to the system and they go for it full on in this game like that the hacker feel is amazing. It's like, I was concerned when it booted up and it was like, this game is best played with a controller. And I was like, oh, we're all, we're starting on the wrong foot. I feel like that's not how I think of interfacing with computers ever at all. But, <laughs> um, it very quickly, uh, dives into, um, this, c- puzzle game of basically entering systems and finding and interacting with different uh computer physical and data nodes that are all connected so yeah i'm seeing a lot of like network maps here yeah uh, where you got the sort of like 
it's point to point navigation. Yes. Uh, and then like some positions have lots of stuff on them with like little markers on them. Yeah. <laughs> and some are just like open squares. Um, uh, yeah. But like, but here's the thing though. It looks like a lot of, it looks like a lot of hacking mini games, right? Where it's like, right. uh, Oh, you hit the black ice node, use your black ice cracker thing. So like, how are they complicating this beyond what I, cause I think we all know like kind of what, mediocre hacker feel feels like where it's like uh you know it is we are just putting like a series of hard counter gates in your way and if you can sort of just break those those gates uh with with your arsenal of resources you get to the cheese at the end of the maze right um there's actually very few Hard gates is the first thing I'll, I'll say. Um, there's a couple different things you want to keep track of. Like you have a firewall, which is essentially HP, um, and that slowly ticks down on any any sort of um, network as it's like trying to track you down. But then there's defensive programs that certain networks will have that will tick faster. So you want to find where those programs are installed and then turn them off. And each one of those, uh, those is like its own mini game where you, you have to play. And the big thing that this all, all of this is happening in real time. The system ticks yeah. regularly. You have five minutes to do what you need to do and get out. Um, and it becomes this kind of exercise of balancing. Okay, if I do, you know three things because I, my, my CPU has three threads. So three things can be happening at any given time. Um, that's going to cause the server to log my actions. And if it, if the server log hits like 10 logs, the alert goes up and the, the, the machine starts attacking your firewall faster. Mm. There's just kind of a lot of different sort of bars of like slowly increasing danger where you have the ability to, uh, kind of jump around and uh, spend time, like, you know, real time, just restoring your firewall for like three seconds. So that's three seconds that you're not also draining money from this other node or m- opening up more of the map. And at first, it's not too bad. Like, the nodes get up to like six different nodes in like a small computer network. And you're like, okay, I can kind of see all of it on my screen. Um, about an hour in where I'm at, it, they've started to reach like three or four screen like spans of like, I have to, uh, you know, it costs time to move across that network even. Um, there are certain programs that you can set up to the run automatically if you have um, integrated processing power from the enemy system. Uh, and you have to manage like, okay, if I have two of those background things running, uh, I can only run like a certain amount because I only have a certain amount of power, things like that. It's all very carefully juggled, uh, kind of order of operations that really feels like it makes, it like tickles the part of my brain that likes processes. Um, and it also feels like it ha- you have to move quickly. I, I think if you if you look up a video of like people like playing this game or the trailer and stuff, like it kind of looks nuts the speed that it's going at. It doesn't feel like it'd be parsable, but mm-hmm. the way that they actually slow like they like do a really good job of slowly kind of expounding like 
the UI makes a lot of intuitive sense uh, in a real, like, clever way where I'm, I think looking at this, the original screenshots, I was definitely like, this seems overwhel- overwhelming, but it, it really focuses down on, like, you only have to kind of focus on where you're currently interacting and the rest of the map kind of falls away as you, you know, travel around the system and all of the th- all of the things that they add they keep adding new and new ways that the game kind of like push stressors on you and like forces you to consider like oh i have to be more careful <laughs> in different ways now because is this most like a sorry go on well i was just going to say like they the way that they escalate all that is actually like it's a it feels very intuitively stacked like the ramp is really really good and like even though like i'm now to the to the maps that look like this just a wild jumble of nodes and different things happening um i still feel like i can take in all the information and i'm like zipping around and it feels really like it feels really good right it's not a sort of like um it's not like a the zactronics programmatic thinking of like figuring out an order of operations that will get you an outcome, but you have to kind of puzzle it out slowly. It's like about that speed, about that, like you only have five minutes and five minutes seems like a lot, but there have been multiple times where I'm like cutting it down to like the last 30 seconds of this thing. And I haven't stopped moving the node. Like I haven't stopped moving my cursor around the, 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 the network at all in that time. What's the uh, narrative frame they drop around this? Um, it's, uh, you know, your standard, like, you're the newbie hacker on the scene. Uh, here's mm-hmm. somebody gave you a a new shitty computer, and you've got to upgrade it. So one of the things that you uh, end up doing is kind of going on different jobs that have slightly different payouts depending on what you're doing. Um, you meet different factions. There's a faction that is very much like, we're in it for the money. There's a faction that's like, hey, we're here to like make a statement about things and you're often like uploading little manifestos to uh servers and also that that faction in particular is very interesting because there's usually two objectives in any given um uh run that you make uh one of them is the main objective which you have to complete in order to eject like once you've committed to going on a job you can't actually in that five minutes you can't leave early um I'm actually not sure what happens if if uh, you run out of time yet, but there are apparently roguelike elements to this, so I'm not sure what that entails yet. But most of the time, the uh, the ones that like really like to show off, they're like, "Hey, raise the alert! Like, make it harder for yourself." Raise is as a secondary objective. It's like, you know what? I do need that extra fifty dollars, <laughs> right. um, especially because uh, after the early after like the first wave of upgrades everything else is like at a thousand or more and i'm really only gaining like 200 some odd bucks each run um and uh the systems are starting to stack and escalate in a way where like you know i'm starting to feel the pressure um but yeah it's it's most it's it's interesting you know you have um, a, a sort of overarching uh uh push of like you're making your way as a hacker but also you're starting to get kind of caught up in some of these factions like infighting and you're as a freelancer bouncing in between all of them and then there's there's also a little bit of that uh 
is there a ghost in this machine? Is there an AI Ooh. talking to the spooky? Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> like, who, who who was that? Is that a human or am I being talked to by some... How speculative is it? Is it like is, is it a world where people are like jacking in with decks that are sort of built into them? Or is it mostly like... Uh, yeah, you go to your computer and you turn it on and you connect via. Uh, well, what's know. interesting is actually like a lot of them take play. It's it isn't that speculative as uh, um as like people are jacking in uh to like networked things in their like bodies. Yeah, but it it does actually make a lot of mention of a, a lot of these runs. You are technically in a van outside the building, sort of situation. Like people are right. running like physical access, like and running things like in person. Um, but also, yeah, there's like, you know, there's been like hints and, you know, weird programs showing up on my deck that like, now I'm like having to like, I can't decrypt this thing, but it's watching me the whole time. And so it starts (laughs) with kind of a premise that it's like need for speed underground, but with hacking, yeah, like increasingly it's you're into like bigger and deeper shit. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And you necessarily imagine the, like the classic neuromancer uh, model, I suppose. Absolutely. And it's, it's so far, it's been really great. I've played like a couple hours now and, um, it feels like every time it feels like, okay, we've settled, and are now going to maybe escalate by making things bigger in size, but then they find a way to introduce a new mechanic that is like both intuitively stacking on top of the earlier mechanics and also does add pressure in a way that's really satisfying to like overcome. Um, it's really neat. Uh, it's also $10. It's very cheap. And yeah. I, just like if you ever enjoy that sort of feeling of like, uh, like you know, racing against the clock. You know, having that like doing puzzles, but under the pressure of a tick, the ticking time. Yeah. Um, this is a really, really solid version. That of That moment in sneakers, you're seeing the trace run, bounce, the, run, run back through the <laughs> like cutouts they've set up. Um, Get off the phone. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And it's it's yeah, it's great. There's there's all sorts of like um. Because it's because it's because it is like real time. They they there's also also sort of fun tricks of just like, oh, there's like this program that will like cause a small explosion that will just freeze you for like a second, and the second doesn't seem like much, but it's really one of those like every second ends up counting uh, when you when you're really into into the shit in, in yeah. some of these. Uh, yeah, it's awesome. That sounds really cool. So that's that system breach. It's available now uh, from Etherfield Studio. Do we know anything else by them? Uh, at least um, on Steam, it only lists this as their only game, but yeah. I haven't I haven't heard of them. Yeah. I'm sure they, so, they've probably but, done something in the mobile space before. I think. Yeah, they're uh, yet another that's... interesting, cool game with a lot of style from Microprose. Yeah. Uh, which yeah. is, a, you know, quietly, it's like become one of those. I was so cynical about the reboot of that brand, like 25 years after it died, 30 years after it died. I was right. like, come on, what are we doing here? <laughs> and so far, like, what we're doing is a lot of cool, interesting stuff. Like it it seems to be a slate that has an identity. Uh, so, yeah, that definitely that definitely sounds cool. What I've been playing a bit this week is um, MLB The Show. Uh, oh, this year? And there's a, yeah. Is that new or? 
Yes, it is. It is. Uh, so I think it is. I think I think they always release it like on opening day. So it's like out ah, like right now. Okay. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, so it's MLB The Show 23. And it is. So the, the big uh, top line feature is that they've got a story mode uh, that is centered on. This seems like it's going to be an ongoing thing. It's it's called like MLB The Show Storylines. Uh-huh. And the way it seems to be presented in this game is like this is season one and it's season mm. one, the Negro Leagues. And what they are doing is it's like a interactive documentary about the Negro Leagues and the like sort of them at their height. And then also the players who were tapped to sort of break the color line uh, in Major League Baseball. And it's a it is a mix of like really cool things you might expect a little bit corny as well <laughs> here is the most bonkers decision they made with it and i understand mm. how you get there but like mlb the show like a sports game it has a certain shape it takes right like you go to the game you have your play-by-play guys they sort of start talking over over the action etc you have your in-game soundtrack over the pa uh and so with these storylines things where you sort of flash back to the Negro Leagues back in like the 20s, 30s, 40s, etc. You have the you have the modern MLB color commentators like <laughs> calling these games, but like huh. so one, it's in just an anachronistic style of announcing in a lot of ways. Sure. Like that's not what announcers back then would have sounded like. Like yeah. uh you know, Vin Scully was kind of like one of the last guys in sort of the old school. And even he was like more conversational than I think announcers had been like, you know, 30 years earlier. But uh, the other thing, though, is the announcers they've got in only the show are like aware that they're casting a historical mode. And so when you're playing in the opening, for instance, you're like playing as Satchel Page, mm. uh, who, you know, if you don't know baseball, like Satchel Page was is like was maybe the greatest pitcher of all time, but it's really hard to assess because he spent his whole career in the Negro leagues, except Mm. for a very brief stint in major league baseball, because when uh, they, you know, ended when they sort of uh, broke the color line, he was a really old player. And as, as as, as they say, as they note during the introduction, there's a lot of suspicion. He was significantly older then he let on. Uh, so people said, you know, when he when he entered the majors, he was 42. And everyone was like, that man is 50 if he is a day. <laughs> and like he was sort of very knowing about this. And they, they cover this uh, via a it's a lot of like motion graphics. as They sort of like talk you through the, the setup for who mm-hmm. this person is uh, for what what part of the historical record they're sort of pulling out. So like the second part of the satchel page thing is introducing you to his pitches. Uh, because one of the things that like made him really renowned wasn't just that he had like a great arm, but as you would kind of expect for a guy who pitched till he was like a hundred, he was one of the craftiest pitchers uh, mm. who ever lived and mm-hmm. just had a, like a Rolodex of pitches mm-hmm. that he could call on. A lot of like off speed uh, stuff that would would trip out bat- trip batters up, and so like they will introduce you to that with like lo- lots of motion graphics and then interviews with uh, I think a historian at the Negro League Museum and sort of introducing this all to you and it's all really cool, and then you will have the announcers being like, 
All right. Well, two and two is the count. And uh, oh, he tried an off-speed pitch there. Uh, batter, batter lets it go by, and that is balls. That loads up the count. And then you will hear, man, it must have been so strange to, pit, to hit against Satchel Page. That that delivery would have been, uh, just would have given you fits. I agree, Bob. Uh, that, you know, the way we kicked that leg out. Oh, my God. That's... And it's it's like... I am more charmed than not. Right? Okay, yeah, it is like, yeah. because if you think about to actually do, and by the way, I would love if somebody did this though, an actual like historic, like if it was, you know what? We're not making an MLB sh- be the show again. We're just going to send out a roster update for the 22 season <laughs> and MLB, the show 23 is actually going to be a period baseball sim and it's set in the Negro <laughs> Leagues. Like, but that's just oh a different, God. like the, the amount of stuff you'd have to do to make that happen. Right. Like they're already sort of, they're, they, they try to make the crowds the 1920s ish. So they take their like crowd models and they slap like suspenders on them and bowlers. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's also everyone gets like a that. bowler hat. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. And then like the star players from the Negro leagues have like really detailed character models as you might expect. Mm-hmm. And then some of the guys who were just there, like the, the names are correct, but it's like, well, that's just a character that, like, you could you whip together in the mo- in, in the model maker. Baseball player number eight. <laughs> yeah, it's like I don't I don't know if, I don't know if thin like carefully manicured chin strap beard and uh, beard mustache things like that were as common back then, but okay. <laughs> uh, but it is nevertheless like a really cool mode. It's a bit like if you dropped a. I don't know. 30 for 30 might be too high praise though. I do get there are moments. It reminds me a bit of um, like the, the Bo Jackson 30 for 30, which is like one of the best ones. I think overall it's more like PBS documentary mm. where <laughs> you're, you're talking through the stuff, but it's, it's a neat feature. It's like one of the, it's one of the first things that's like outside the main offering of like, MLB the show was a really good baseball sim Uh where I'm like, okay, even if you weren't into, I want to play a really nitty gritty baseball sim. Like there's a lot of this. This isn't like you're going to speed through this in, you know, 30 minutes and you're there. You got the potted history of the Negro leagues. Like you're going to spend like an hour learning about Satchel page, for instance, you're going to learn. Yeah. It's, it's going to be stuff like that. Does, Uh, does the, does the sim change? much at all or is it more like it's those those players but you're kind of doing more modern things still that's a good question um you know it's funny like one thing i noticed is the first thing they give you when you play the the first section of like playing a satchel page just it's a quick intro sequence and you've got the standard pitch selection that modern pitchers use and Mm. you're like okay so this is just like you know, standard pitcher batter interface stuff. And uh, that's how this game is going to roll. And then the next chapter is let's introduce you to his pitches. And suddenly all the pitches are different than what you're used to seeing in mm. the main game. Uh, there are more of them. They have different names and they might still fit like the archetypes of like, how we, like how we call them modern pitches. Uh-huh. But I think there's also some stuff that might be like fairly unique to satchel uh, in, in there where like there's there because like one of the things he was really renowned for is like just being able to put really surprising and intense motion on the ball uh mm-hmm. like making the ball 
move in ways that like most people really can't the pitcher the batters just like could not really anticipate and so there's like an array of pitches he has that you're just like you can make that ball go any direction off of where it appears to be thrown uh which <laughs> yeah like and and so like if you're if you're in MLB the sh- if you're playing like for instance you play a star pitcher in MLB the show mm. even really good ones might only have like two or three off-speed pitches and a lot of them don't actually have like a full menu of you can make it move laterally out to the right uh, as it nears the plate. They don't they don't have that. Right. It's like mm-hmm. they can trick you, but always sort of in the same direction. They can make it like come in a little higher than you think. It's not going to arc in right or it's going to move outside really quickly uh, from where the pitch was thrown. Like there's just not many guys who have the ability that like the Satchel Page character that they've created does where it's like the ball will be approaching the strike zone and it can effectively move six directions off of what you think that pitch <laughs> is going to be. Uh, oh my God. And the other cool thing is like they, uh, it, they did their best to try to recreate his, this has always been a point of pride for MLB the show. They do a ton of mocap mm. and for your bigger stars, they do a ton of trying to recreate pretty exactly their pitching motions, their batting motions, etc. Mm. And so Satchel Page has a special delivery that nobody else does. He sort of had this like really long wind up. Uh, you make a cup of coffee in the time that you know, it would take <laughs> him to wind up. Uh, and then even as the wind up appears to be ending, he would sort of like throw the cadence off a bit with a uh, like leg kick before he throws. And so again, like, he just doesn't look or play like other pitchers huh. in this game. Uh, and it's, it's, it's a neat thing. You know, the, the, again, though, you kind of, you, you, it's, it's hard not to kind of come away wishing like, Oh man, it'd just be cool to like have an entire season of you're just playing in the Negro leagues in 1948 <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. Uh, that would be, that would be really cool. Um, the other thing that, I don't know. Like I like I obviously I've, I haven't played too much of this because I wasted a ton of time um, as I always do recreating my own character. And uh, it's like, what would what who would I be? Yeah. If I were like Shohei Otani. <laughs> and the answer is a completely different person. But yeah. nevertheless, yeah. I'm like I'm like uh, creating like. All right, I'm just going to be a big boy who hits dingers and throws fastballs. And the game's like, that's going to be really hard to develop. And I'm like, don't care. Going to try. But so I spent a lot of time like both pouring over character creator and then being stuck down in the minors because we'll talk about this decision real quickly. But uh, I am curious as we go on how like how the rest of this goes, because I think one of the things that, uh, you know, I would, I, I talk, usually I talked, uh, like baseball, we talked baseball history with my, uh, old com- compatriot on through ahead, Troy Goodfellow, mm. huge baseball nerd, uh, and like kind of a walking encyclopedia. But you know, he always sort of cautioned me that like, it's, it's really easy to get sentimental about the Negro leagues, uh, because obviously like, they occupy such a, an important place in civil rights history. And, uh, 
and you know, once integration happens, they kind of disappear, right? It's like they create this huge wellspring of talent and opportunity and then they're gone. But also they had a lot of the same problems that minor league ball has today, right? Where it's mm-hmm. just like unsustainable. Um, a right. handful of stars make like decent money, but then you got a huge exploited workforce, uh, you know, up and down the board. And there are owners in there that are making good money off running their like team. And that is not necessarily being shared, you know, down, down the line. Right. right. Like it's the the classic thing of like, Mar- like bought like bosses and like capitalists from marginalized groups will not necessarily and in fact for the most pace play for the, in most cases do <laughs> not act with like class solid like identity solidarity skin phonate folk uh, yeah 100 yeah. <laughs> percent. like so so it's it, that's the, I'm curious if they're going to get into that where it's like a lot of these like legends of the Negro League. You're you're also sort of talking about uh, a league that is exploitative of its workforce in a way that like is just classically sports, right? Uh, right. So I'm I'm curious if we get into that, but at, for the most part, so it's, it's a really neat mode. It's a lot of uh, it's a lot of like fun baseball history, and I'm really curious, like you know. What other storylines do you do? Obviously, you right. can do multiple seasons about the Negro Leagues, uh, but you could also do like, you know, you do a storyline about like one particular playoff series, for instance. You probably do a lot of different things with this format. And it's a really sort of compelling pitch for like DLC or like a, a like right. stuff that would get you coming back to a game after the launch window. Where it's like, oh, they're, you know, now they're talking about, uh, you know, the, you know, the 1918 World Series, for instance. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, I want to, I want to go check that out. The. So wait, is this, is this storyline specifically about Satchel Page or was there no, more to it? It's, but? there's like, uh, God, it's, it's a ton of players. Okay. Um, so when you go into the, like. When you pick the you're in the menu, you pick the Negro Leagues uh, storylines mode Mm -hmm. and then you get like a lateral scroll bar on the bottom with like a dozen different cards for different players. And you sort of pick them and you play through like a multi-mission story about them. Like a fight, like a fighting game campaign mode. Yeah. (laughs) You're picking your fighter and then going with expert interviews. Yeah. Yeah. Wild. Okay. cool. Uh, so it's, it's, it is, it is really cool. Uh, the other thing that it's just one of, one of the things that I think is easy to perceive in this edition of MLB, the show is like, this is a sports sim that is very much in the context of a sport that is aware that it has some serious problems. Mm. Uh, You know, I don't think it's any coincidence that you're seeing a like Negro League story mode at a time when like the league has made an increasing point of concern. It's sort of widely discussed that baseball used to be a real one. It used to be, you know, the national pastime It was popular with everybody, but it used to be really popular with black people in the United States. Right. That has increasingly not been the case. And if you sort of took uh, players from like the Caribbean out of it, 
you would have far fewer black players in the league. And so this is a, like the opening cut scene is this year. It's like the idea is baseball is jazz. It's sort of tying together that like Mm -hmm. black culture and black excellence has always been in dialogue with baseball and vice versa, that the two have sort of informed each other Uh and that there is like this tradition and connection. And I think, it also seems to me like the soundtrack choices they made have also huh. are also reflecting that a little bit, a <laughs> lot more like rap and hip hop here uh, than in previous years, a little bit less um, like typical, like pop hits for right. guys of my generation and background, <laughs> right? Where it's like uh, no Mr. Brightside here. Um, and I think that's, That's one like it's it's just an interesting approach because it's like Mm -hmm. this is a sports sim that is basically looking squarely at the fact that like Major League Baseball has recognized that like there is a cratering of popularity happening and there was a cratering of popularity that happened a long time ago with uh, like black kids in the United States effectively. And there's a lot of things that go behind that. There's a lot of good uh, discussions around that. I think a podcast I listen to a lot is the right time with Bomani Jones. He did a couple of interviews about this. Um, You know, there's, there's sort of the cultural issues, uh, which is that baseball's. um, How familiar are you? Like, I forget. Are you, are you, are you a baseball fan? Like, do you follow up much? You, you get, you no, picked, have you picked up by osmosis? Like when I said, when I said like the unwritten rules, does that mean anything to you? No. Right. <laughs> what is, what is that? I like see things. I know the name. Uh, no, I don't. I don't know the name. I don't want to say it. Otani. But what's his, what's his first Shohei name? Otani. Shohei. I see. I almost knew his full name. <laughs> well, you've got, you got to get, you got to get I, I, I saw, like, this is, I saw a clip of uh, Tortuga. Who was that? I don't know who that was. Uh, the the tortoise, the la, tor- la tortuga. Yeah, I think that's yeah, what yeah, his yeah. nickname was. Uh, but I don't remember what his name actually is. <laughs> yeah, he's a great pitcher, though. Um, uh, Williams Astudillo. Yeah, we got what what a what a weird name, Will Williams. But if you say that in Spanish, it's we 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 I don't I don't understand how you pronounce his name. That's wild. He's Venezuelan. <laughs> um, Sorry. <laughs> so yeah. So just the thing I would say is, uh, as you might expect, like baseball in a lot of ways has a really conservative culture, sure. and that doesn't necessarily just extend to like you know it's a lot of dudes hanging out, uh, you know chewing tobacco and spitting <laughs> in dugouts in the hot, like summer. It is also like, uh, so there's this whole concept of like, there's the unwritten rules, right? Where it's like, d- don't appear to be having too much fun out there. Right. Like if you, oversell, like it was, it, it, it was, and there's still are people who argue that it still should be a sport where if a hitter gets a home run off a pitcher, if they celebrate too much, the pitcher was within his rights to fucking nail him <laughs> with a high speed pitch no, the no. next time around. What the fuck? <laughs> but if that happens, then of <sighs> course the other team is also within their rights 
to return that favor and pay someone off with a high speed pitch. Uh, no. Probably not in the same game because that would get out of hand. But like the next time you see that team, uh, someone's taking uh, it uh, like in the gut or the head. No, the uh, head. <laughs> oh, they got helmets. That uh, ball's the, going like a hundred or some shit, well, right? The, the idea is usually you aim at the head to let them know you're serious, and then you <laughs> dump them on their ass so they can drop. This, this stuff is funny to talk about. Like, is it, it's oh, like hockey fights where it's like oh, no. it's absurd, it's yeah. macho, etc. Yeah, but also it's like it's kind of shitty. But the but the big thing is, it's like there's a lot of ways that uh, a bit like in football, there's been attempts to sort of quash self-expression and like joy out of a lot of aspects (laughs) of the game. And then there are players who come along who are just like, yeah, I don't care about that. I'm going to do what I want. Uh, And that tends to be controversial. And you can sort of imagine how that also lines up with racial dynamics uh, in the sport. But, you know, there's also the sociological stuff of like, Baseball requires like if you're like if you're talking about like kids playing a game, mm-hmm. baseball requires a lot of like public green space and like neighborhoods where a bunch of kids can get together because it is a game that effectively like the full game requires 18 people being around. Right. And, you know, ideally more than that. And you play shorthanded. But, you know, when you, you can think maybe about, get by on like a six, six, six on six situation if you're a kid and don't really care. <laughs> but like right. still, that's 12 people in a in a space, you know, <laughs> it's a lot of space. Right. So, yeah. And so like as you have like, you know, disinvestment in public spaces and, uh, you know, lower density neighborhoods and such, you start just having a you start having the issue of like if a few ki- if if like a half dozen kids can go have a decent game of basketball or they can have the worst game of baseball <laughs> in history they're going to go play basketball right, right? like it's like, one of, like soccer almost scales right like you know you can play two on two soccer right uh you know it can it can be done uh whereas again like baseball there's just big parts of it that don't work unless you got like a, a decent crew yeah and on top of that of course we talk about like the pipeline to the pros in the united states it's become a really good way to separate middle class families from their money and upper middle class families from mm. their money uh where you will have prep programs and travel teams that require a ton of investment and so you know, it is it's sort of the you have to be not even twice as good. It's like three times as good on steroids concept <laughs> because like yeah. uh, well to do families uh, who have like a kid with a decent amount of talent with a well to do family mm-hmm. will get a huge like leg up in the process of being scouted, being advanced through the ranks. And if you've not come from those means you will not have those opportunities. You're, you're going to headwind. It's a different situation. If you're talking about like the Dominican Republic or something where you have like huge uh, farm teams and a lot of like, you know, uh, a lot of like small clubs there that are like well scouted. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's a, those are kind of being used as like both talent pools where it's sort of encouraged, but also uh, <laughs> places that just fucking love bats- uh, baseball yeah, yeah. in a way that uh, they, they don't love anything else. There's like so, pockets, but it's very, you know, they're the exception to the rule. <laughs> yeah. And so like, this is, I think one of the things they're trying to get at, like MLB, the show is like, 
you know, with the storyline mode and just from the way it presents itself from the start, mm-hmm. it is not just like baseball is for everyone. It is like very much more specifically like baseball is black and always has been. Right. And I think that also dovetails with the fact that they're trying. Baseball is also trying to fix itself. It's like <laughs> baseball has a huge like the other reason that the games become less popular is that. It is frequently boring as hell. And yeah. last time I things- saw the, the one of the biggest reasons I like saw anything on the Internet about baseball was the time that there was some very obvious cheating going on. Right. The whole what was it? The Astros and the fucking the garbage cans. Yeah. And it's like it took like a, a cheating scandal for people to be talking about it enough for me to passively see a lot of baseball talk, you know, yeah, it, yeah, exactly. It was like, uh, and by the way, there were a lot of people who felt that the league should be allowed to police itself. If the league wasn't going to revoke that uh, championship from the Astros, then other teams with, were within their rights to try and kill Astros players <laughs> oh, no. uh, with with pitches the following Jesus. season. Uh, which oh. didn't really, because also like teams turn over between years. So you had guys like showing up in Astros uniform, uniforms who were like, I literally didn't even go here. I, wasn't, I didn't even uh, go like, here. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh. no, it's, uh, but the big thing that, the, uh, the other thing that this MLB The Show is releasing on the heels of is, uh, you probably saw some tweets about this, the World Baseball Classic. Oh, yeah. Which was, an international baseball tournament. Is that and new? Is that relatively it's, new or is it's it just relatively like- new? It's, it's every few years. Uh, it is. Yeah, it is. It is. It is relatively new. I think there's only been like uh, a, a handful of these before. I, maybe there was a predecessor. Uh-huh. International, international baseball is not a new thing, but like this format where it's like, right. You have a lot of pros playing for their home countries uh, uh-huh. in this. It was like a showcase of a ton of the things baseball needs, which was a lot of play, like a lot of players in Major League Baseball. They want to win. They are, you know, very talented. They might like their team, but ultimately they are mercenaries, right? Like they are paid huge amounts of money to come and perform for a team they might have no connection with. Uh, you know, this is the. You know, the Dodgers adopting Mookie Betts uh, is a very sweet story, but also like they paid him a king's ransom to get him out there. And like he's done the Mookie Betts thing, which is be awesome. But that <laughs> like there is not necessarily like a close relationship between him and the Dodgers. But then you take these guys and you play, you have them playing for their home countries mm-hmm. and like the energy level just goes off the charts. Right? right. Where it's like, you know, you have, uh, you know players from uh you know <laughs> you, you you have players from like the dominican republic who have been playing in the pros for years but now it's a chance to like you know lead this team deep into a tournament uh you know like mexico is in the semifinals uh for instance but and this is the other place that got really interesting because these are national teams uh with the exception of the united states uh there's not many countries that can field a full major league caliber lineup. Like they might have a lot of players who go to the pros, but Mm -hmm. are they elite necessarily? No. Uh, I think (laughs) Jack Lockyer was there with a team 
Czechoslovakia, like the, the sorry, not Czechoslovakia, uh, the Czech Republic, yeah. not known as a baseball powerhouse. Right. And <laughs> so like, but they made it in this tournament and they had like tradespeople who were working. Like it was like, oh, yeah, this guy's an electrician and he, play, he plays he plays for the national team and they've done surprisingly well to to qualify for this. Um, so apparently I might be getting some details wrong about how these things qualify, but. Yeah. Apparently this 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 current version of the World Baseball Classic was founded in 2006. So, you know, in the in the history of baseball fairly oh, recent. Right. They also made changes. They really made it clear that like you couldn't play the pros too hard, especially pitchers. Ah. And so I think historically teams have not allowed their guys to go play for this because huh. it's like you could get hurt playing and we're paying, we're here paying you millions. And this is basically like an exhibition tournament. Uh, So (laughs) you can't go do this right this year. They sort of negotiated this thing where it's like, okay, the pros will be there, but we're not going to be having them like pitching full games. We're not going to like put them under heavy load. Hmm. So suddenly they're all there. But the really key thing is overall, you've got some guys who are major league caliber and they got a lot of guys who are like marginal or maybe significantly like lower than that. Mm. And one of the big problems with baseball is that when the players get too good, especially the pitchers, the game gets boring as hell. <laughs> right. And what made this awesome was you had a lot of pitchers who were like, yeah, sorry, chief. I can't, I can't do that 105 mile hour fastball thing. Uh, so I'm just going to pitch to contact and we're going to put the ball in play. And so suddenly it was like baseball it was closer to what people have historically really liked from baseball. A lot of fielding, a lot of like tactical decisions, uh-huh. uh, you know, about like positioning and a lot of like offensive action. And it was like kind of a vision of like, if you did not have baseball dominated, by this talent pipeline churning out pitching assassins right and left. Right. Uh, the game gets really interesting, but the MLB has this problem where like there's not much offensive action. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the thing they're trying to address, uh, like first of all, the, the WBC kind of showcased how much more interesting baseball is with like a wider spread of talent. Right. It also makes the, the power hitters look better too. Right. Where it's like, if you can really, if you're an awesome hitter and now you're going up against a guy who's like a pretty decent pitcher, but he's not like, you know, he's not yeah. like Cy Young. Yeah, yeah. Now you can actually see like, oh, that guy just like, you know, laid the wood on that and <laughs> that thing is gone. So it would kill the like, uh, you know, kill the like fantasy of a no hitter, but like maybe forced rotations of like pitchers could could help this out. Right. Where you have to. How like would there be enough talent if you had to swap like every two innings or some shit? So you're thinking along the lines that the league has thought. Okay. Um, actually, the issue though has been what they settled on was they actually had too much pitcher rotation because think huh. of this. Think of it this way: the most exhausting thing you can do as a pitcher is throw fastballs. It's also sure. the best pitch you can have. Like the faster you you know, the faster you can throw it, the harder it is to hit, etc. Yeah. If you have a huge pitching roster and you can just send guys in for literal, and this is what they were doing, you would send a pitcher out to get one out. Huh. You're going to go in there. You're going to strike this guy out. 
your entire career is your arm has maybe four fastballs in it a night. <laughs> right. But okay. if three of them are strikes, That's then you've that done matters. your job. Yeah. Right. And so, like, you know, you you have these hitters coming out where it's like no sooner have you started to figure out what the starting pitcher is doing than for the rest of the night, you're seeing randos who can all throw, like, just wild pitches. Right, uh, right, you. right. So what they did was uh, they've done two things. They reduced the amount of uh, pitching staff you can have. Mm-hmm. And with the idea that they're actually going to force guys to go longer, which means they're going to have to throw more of their, like, uh, weaker stuff. Right. You know, to rest their arms. The other thing they introduced was the pitch clock. Uh, Cause the games were starting to get to like three and a half hours uh, because like you, you would have like five minutes go by yeah, between two pitches. Wow. Uh, it was just, just wild stuff. So they put them on basically a shot clock where it's like, uh, you know, 25 seconds or something. you got to, you got to get that next pitch out there. Uh-huh. And what that does is just, you know, you can just sort of imagine if you can just rest your arm, for like two, three minutes while you sort of like shuffle around the mound, right. scratch yourself, <laughs> look at second base, like Is look it? at the dugout. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you can sort of recharge and you sort of get that fastball back. Right. But if it's like, okay, you threw pitch, catcher throws it back to you, one, two, three. You know, you do not have, yeah. Yeah. So like that's that's these are the ways they're trying to sort of fix the game. Um and I think this is like this is all putting MLB show the show in this interesting place where it's like it's always been a game that sort of celebrates baseball and its history and sort of the, the, the culture and the vibe of it. But also this is an addition that is like covering a sport that is having a crisis of confidence and identity. Right. And I think they've done really interesting things to try and uh, like reconcile those uh-huh. things in a way that like Madden just doesn't have to, right? Madden can always come out every year. Like, you know, NFL is the biggest, most popular yeah. game can be shit. Doesn't matter. Uh, have, you know, I don't NFL's, even, have they changed anything about Madden in ever? Like, uh, I'm probably not the, yeah. They, I mean, they, they introduced like super moves for like superstar players. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how well received that was. It was kind of a silly thing where it's like, if you're an elite defensive lineman, for instance, you can use your power button and just like, demolish the offensive tackle in front of you in a way that like nobody else can. So it's like you sort of come in with meter charged up for your super. And Wild. that's, yeah, so that was kind of the solution. Uh, but no, I don't think the, the, the game, I don't think is a very good reputation uh, as a, as a sim. Whereas uh-huh. I think MLB, the show consistently does. Right. Uh, it, it's still a pretty well-regarded sim. Uh, the last thing I'll mention is, so I'm trying to just cause it's the most fun, uh, doing my whole road to the show thing. You create your own player, uh-huh. but like who doesn't want to be a star pitcher with a mighty bat. <laughs> but the problem is there's only one of those guys. And historically there've been like two or three, uh, you know, where Babe Ruth started as a pitcher uh-huh. uh, and was a good hitter and then was like, I'm just going to focus entirely on hitting and that's going to be how I how I become a star. Uh, Shohei Otani was identified as a top prospect in Japanese baseball and was I like a lot of American teams wanted to bring him over, but they also wanted to make him choose. Uh, you know, as with anything, it is. I mean, think of it like. Uh-huh. 
Major League Baseball, the story, it's the very highest talent level possible. Yeah. How the hell do you multi-class that? Oh, <laughs> uh, wait. So what, wait, what, is, what does that exactly, what does that mean? Choose? How would he, how would he choose? Like, what is he? Oh, you like, so like, he, first of all, Major League Baseball got rid of the, uh, I think it was the National League used to live by the rule that the pitcher had to be a batter. So in your in your nine player batting order, the pitcher had to go up there. Uh-huh. But pitchers don't train to hit. They're not good at it because every spare minute you have to train, you are better off training your arm I see. and working I see. on your pitches. And yeah, so there'll yeah. always be a guy uh, in the ninth position who just couldn't hit for shit. He'd go out there and he'd be a sacrificial lamb. Maybe occasionally he'd get a single and we'd be like, whoa, you did it. Great job. But for the most part, uh, they were kind of offensively, uh, you know, null. Hmm. In the American League, they had the designated hitter where you could have someone bat for somebody else. Pretty much always the pitcher would not bat at all if they were on an American league team. And then you would have a big boy who maybe couldn't field at all. Wasn't big with the running, wasn't good with fielding and everything, but could hit. Right. And that's what they would do. And then all their training time is spent working on hitting. So what they would have done with a guy like Otani is you can't do, but we're not going to let you do both. Like you're going to have to say like, I'm going all in on being a pitcher or I'm going to go all in on being like a power hitter. Uh huh. But we're not doing this thing where you were training to do both because it's kind of ultimately self-defeating that you will be, you will have a lower ceiling uh, at both sides of the game than you would otherwise have. And he like, he opted to stay in Japanese baseball. I think cause there was a manager there who was like, well, I won't do that to you. <laughs> like, you, you should you know you what you play ball play, play ball yeah <laughs> yeah and he was really good at it but obviously like now japan won the won the wbc like japan is oh, yeah. like in a historically good period of baseball like they're nice. they're churning yeah. out stars <laughs> uh but nevertheless like it is still going to be a smaller league with like a lower average level of talent so the question was always would would otani be able to do it when he came over to uh the major leagues so far he has like completely yeah, yeah. uh the, the <laughs> only downside is he plays for one of those hapless teams in america oh yeah uh, yeah the anaheim <laughs> angels uh, oh no! And he plays alongside one of the best hitters in the league, uh, Mike Trout. By the way, they ended up being the final pairing. Otani was pitching for the WBC title, like for Trout the was the last batter team. up. Yeah, and Trout and, like, was Otani on the was pitching for Japan. Yeah, and wow. like this is scripted. This is the most like, obviously <laughs> transparently scripted game I've ever seen. Oh yeah. Uh, also. Shoot. In MLB a show, you can go play mo- big moments. Uh, you can play moments mode, where you were sort of dropped into the simulated version of these big, these big, big, uh, big moments and big games. And they have an entire array of big moments from the WBC. Uh, so you can sort of play that moment where Rotani's going up against his his teammate. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so he like he is trying to make it so that his career allows him to be both power hitter. And a elite pitcher, 
And so far that is working out. Everyone's kind of curious that it can sustain. Cause like, sure. You know, as you age, you're going to have to be more careful about like, what are you training? What are you investing your training time on? Right. What are you asking your asking of your body? Uh, but there's more, a lot more people trying to be like Otani uh, these days. Cause let's face it. It's also more fun. If like, again, it sounds pretty cool to be both like a star pitcher and then also a monster batter. Yeah. So I mean, it's both arms of, things, right? That makes sense. <laughs> kind of in a way. <laughs> I think it's, you know, the, the, I think the problem is, I think the, I can actually see it being complimentary in terms of like, maybe the two training regimes would, could end up helping each other out where like, right the hitting side of things would do a lot of strength conditioning that pitchers don't necessarily do, but the pitching training would do a lot of like joint conditioning and flexibility that, right. But the, the big problem is like pitching destroys arms. It, it just does. Um, <laughs> and so that's, that's one of the big things is, uh, most pitchers eventually sort of hit a point where it's like, they've really got to start limiting what they ask of themselves. Right. Um, but we don't seem to do that with, with Otani. So anyway, I'm trying to do that in my game. I tried this a couple <laughs> years ago with the previous version of the show. And you run into the same problem of like, it's the RPG mode of like, you can get experience by going to do practices, like say, I'm going to spend the day in the weight room and uh-huh. get little stat buffs that way. But mostly you'll be uh, picking up XP in the games. Uh-huh. But will you be able to pick up enough XP on both sides of the ball mm. where you can actually maintain as a good player on as a pitcher and a batter? That gets really, really hard. And uh, periodically you will have cuts to the talking heads of the MLB network talking about like, boy, I don't know if this is going to work out. Maybe this player will be better off specializing. <laughs> and I'm like, the game is really nagging. Right? Yeah. Oh, my God. That's very funny. You, I like that. I I enjoy when uh uh like sports comment commentators like in in games and sims like that comment in a way that's like maybe something they would say in real life, but is very obviously prompt trying to prompt the player to to maybe make a choice in a certain way or or not. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's really cool. Like there's, there's a ton of cool stuff in there. There's a lot of neat, um, you know, in the road to the show mode, they'll have like just interviews sort of dropped in with, uh, you know, guys like Ken Griffey and, and such. Um, mm-hmm. and so again, it's just like a really rich presentation of, uh, like cool baseball stuff happening in this game. And, uh, also, you know, underneath that, it's a really good baseball sim. So I've been playing a fair bit of that. I'll, I'll be probably playing it uh, a lot this spring uh, until my interest eventually. Like it's always sports games are just bottomless, right? You could, you know, you play them forever and the people who are really into them do. Uh, (laughs) But eventually I will be like, okay, goodbye. (laughs) I'm, I'm done. Uh, I will import the save next year and continue, continue with my road to the show. But uh, it's, it's a very cool addition. I would say it's probably one of the most interesting editions of MLB the show in years and is also like it is game that is very good at having the vibe of like spending a lazy afternoon at an actual baseball game. Right. So that's uh that's my gloss on that. Uh we should probably take a little bit of a break here. 
Uh, remember, Waypoint Plus listeners get this podcast ad free. You can learn more at waypointplus.com and see how you can fill this break with nothing but cool tunes and no ads. Uh, so stick around. Back after this. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And we're back. Uh, so, Kato. Yeah, Rob. It, it arrived. It got here. It's it's here. You you have it in. Is it is it in your vicinity right now? No, it is Can, in my. Is room. is it in the room with us, Rob? <laughs> yes. <laughs> is the Corsair Vengeance in the room with us right now? <laughs> uh. No, it is it is hooked up downstairs. Uh, oh, okay. I I did get shipment notification. The whole desk setup is is coming here. Uh, so who nice. knows? Maybe this weekend I will be able to complete my setup. Assuming the people I ordered that screen from ever respond. Um, <laughs> that 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 the, they they had a retail space, right? They do. They're real. Okay. They're, they're real. real. I, they're I real. Them, I called them. They're, <laughs> they're like, real. it should be here soon. We don't know what's going on. They're real. Okay. Uh, <laughs> like, it is you, you go back to vendor. you go back to whatever building it was, and like it's been boarded up. It's a spirit Halloween now. Nobody knows what you're talking about. It was all a dream, Rob. <laughs> I'll be honest. The building they're in looks like the place where that would happen. <laughs> like it looks exactly like the place where you'd be like, I swear to God, there was an audio store here <laughs> two days ago. Oh. You know, suddenly you're like you you like months later, you see one of the people you saw lo- looking at like record players and it turns yeah. out he's a struggling actor from like framing him <laughs> or something. And it's like, oh no. Uh but yeah, so the uh the new the new PC got here and it is as you might expect very very cool yeah and it is yeah it's like it's like one of the nicest pieces of like computer hardware I've I've ever owned like the how many fans does it have on it ah uh, three up front uh one big one in the back nice nice and then there's the interior fans but like I have been struck Do by they all glow. Only some oh, yeah. of them glow. Okay. This thing glows. <laughs> it's actually like, but the defaults are really nice. Like, it's not like a really aggressive RGB cycle. They sort of okay. operate in cool pastels. Um, huh. And like, That's not bad. Yeah, it's a, it's a gorgeous, it's a gorgeous set. Uh, it's, as you might expect, incredibly quiet uh, for the, mm. for the most part, because, nice. you know, again, the hardware is really powerful, so it's not working very hard. And then there's a ton of fans, so it can cool off fast. But uh, I spent a huge portion of yesterday just doing hookup stuff and authenticating accounts, et cetera. But 
when it was time to like really break it in, uh-huh. you know, there was one game that I, that I had to go back to. And that was 2022's uh, ray tracing game of the year. Yeah. Uh, Marvel's Midnight Suns. <laughs> Wait, could you turn RTX on that game? Yes. <laughs> so uh-huh. this is so the very the very funny thing that happens here, though, is MK has loved watching this game. She's really enjoyed hanging out and uh-huh. like uh, sort of co-piloting. It was stunning to watch her get like hi-fi pilled over the yeah. course of <laughs> our session last night. So I plug it in cause like I, I plugged it into the stereo receiver first uh-huh. and that caps at 60 frames per second. And so there was like some bad tearing and she's like, I can't live with this. She's like, you need to get that thing right into the, use one of the direct HDMI's into the TV. I was like, okay, <laughs> I will do that. And once we did that, it, like it's a G-Sync uh, capable display. Once we did that, there was wow. no tearing. But here was the other thing. I am I was so fully prepared that like ray tracing was just going to bring this thing to its knees. Like ray tracing never works. There's no system that can like effectively do it. This one can. Well, when you spend <laughs> an amount yeah. on it, maybe it can. Oh. Yeah, it was like it, it was shockingly gorgeous. Uh, and also like it threw me off how. Like. There have been sort of a lurching quality to the motion that I'd assumed was like intentional that your characters had a degree of inertia. Huh? I don't think they did. <laughs> I think it might have been that on the on my previous PC, it's yeah. like when you start moving, there's an entire like, whoop, we got to start recalculating the scene. And right. so your character would sort of like get rolling and there would be like a little bit of input lag as they slowly like started moving, walking around. Wow. I almost found it disorienting the degree to which they're sort of like, like snapping around. Skating. Oh yeah. It was like, <laughs> what the hell is going on? Uh, this is, this is almost too smooth. Uh, is, is Hunter wearing, wearing roller skates, uh, suddenly inside the, the Abbey. Uh, the the thing that really sort of jumped out at me there was also the um like obviously you're gonna notice more details when you got everything pushed up, but right. also like there were a lot of things that hadn't ever really been visually interesting to me, like some skyboxes in some places. Sure. That suddenly did become way more like cool looking. And the <laughs> only thing I can sort of think is that because the game wasn't as aggressively like scaling down level of detail stuff and sort of uh, like masking where it was making like savings, uh, you know, in the frame. Mm-hmm. Like, does it become a like richer landscape to look at with a little more like eye leading toward other sure. items of interest uh, right. than with the other version? Um, but Wild. it was. Yeah, it was it was really cool. And so we're, we're playing it and, you know, MK's like having me zoom around and like she's like, I want to see the fabric. Is that is that a shadow forming in the hollow of the waffle knit on that character's <laughs> shirt? And I was like, I do believe it is huh. uh, that that does that wow. does look like that is happening. Uh, and she, goes, she gets quiet for a little bit and then she starts texting me uh, color calibration equipment. 
no. And she's like, this looks great. But are we sure this is the this display is correct? Oh my god! And I was like, well, I mean, you know, it's default, so we kind of tweaked. And yeah, she was like, yeah, I'm looking up stuff online, and like, you really can't trust that stuff. Like, you should really <laughs> the only way to go. You gotta you should really get professional I grade. Understand uh, how you're married. <laughs> I was wondering, like you know, when 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 you buy when you make big audacious purchases, I always I do in some part of my mind always have to wonder what does MK think of that. I'm curious, and uh, <laughs> I feel like there's a there's a similarity we're seeing now. Yeah, it, there there is a like, but it, it it will come out of nowhere sometimes because this was like truly one of those like, what have I awakened? Because. <laughs> Yeah, this like, is stemming I know from you. It's rubbing off, is what you're saying. Yeah, but it's like I know <laughs> this stuff isn't perfectly calibrated. Uh huh. But also, it looks good. Like, there's only a few <laughs> times where you're like, "There's only but some times be where better, you're like, Rob. I think that might be wrong." Yeah, yeah. it could be better. And well, how will then, you know yeah. unless you have a bespoke machine that only does this one job of telling you that it's good? And then she's like, "Of course, you know, obviously." You know, we'll have to book time every couple months to recalibrate. Obviously, because yes. things do fall out of fall out of Cal. Absolutely necessary. <laughs> and I was like, "This is what happens when you like." I'm like, I'm a hobbyist enthusiast, yeah. And now an engineer that I live with has like <laughs> developed an overlapping interest, oh, and no. is suddenly like, uh, we need to get these things like you know, studio calibrated, just absolutely <laughs> nailed them down. Cause otherwise, how do we know that Marvel's midnight Science right. is looking as good as it could, as, as good as it could possibly. And you gotta, look. you gotta of course also take in the ambient light. It depends on, you know, what, what the environment is doing as well. Yeah. And indeed she specced for, she's like, you gotta have calibration equipment yes. that takes ambient lighting into account. <laughs> Yes, Kato. She she immediately jumped at like she was like, okay, oh. these things look good, but like you'd have to be like in a dark studio to like guarantee that they're right. gonna work. Yeah, these ones these <laughs> ones accommodate uh, ambient lighting oh. conditions. Beautiful, perfect. But noted notably, nowhere in the in there was a volunteering of like, and I will be the one to calibrate all this. <laughs> It was here are some helpful resources. Here you go. So that you can You should look into this. this. You would like looking yeah. into this. <laughs> and by looking into this, I mean your various screens. Uh, <laughs> yeah. like for hours at a time. Uh like like tweaking them to be perfect. Uh-huh. Uh although I guess the professional stuff, the weird thing is it takes a lot of the subjectivity out of it. And right. so it actually gets faster because you're just like, is this color reading as correctly reproduced? Right. I think I think some even have like you know depending on what you're how you're calibrating it like it's like an app or something where it does all the changes for you on your computer. Yeah, like read, I was I was hoping that there would be the another screen. piece of software I'd have to run in the background. Yeah, uh, to, to <laughs> sort of keep my. You know, you got to use that overhead for something. <laughs> Sixty-four uh, gigabytes of RAM. <laughs> Okay, that that part is that part is silly. It shouldn't even. But like, there was no thirty-two or sixteen gig spec. It was just like That's for this amazing. spec, it's like we're going to give you all the absurd hardware. And Truly I was like, okay. spectacular. You won't have to buy a computer for another like 
decade at least it'll be brand new 10 you years think, later you would think this is the issue right it's no, like no, 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 no. future proofed but whether or not the components will actually hold up over time yeah, is a completely different question <laughs> there was also the fact that mk began a note midway through our evening that you know her pc is pretty long in the tooth oh my god <laughs> And, uh, you know, like maybe I will want an upgrade in a couple years and I could, and she could have the Corsair. What? So she like, yes, within about 90 minutes of exposure to this fucking just, computer, within about 90 minutes of exposure to this fucking machine, MK was like, you I know, can't, I can't wouldn't this look good on my desk. <laughs> and I'm like, well, it would consume half your desk. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's amazing. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh. I guess it's probably the best outcome you could have hoped for. <laughs> no, it was the it was a it was a thorough in thorough endorsement uh, of, of the decision. And it is like, yeah, it's it's really nice. It's it's a uh, I haven't yet. Well, actually, I take that back. Um, so. Marvel's Midnight Suns ran fully maxed out, like never had a hitch, like it was performed beautifully. Uh-huh. Uh, I played a lot of Warhammer 3, but, you know, that stuff is so tough to gauge because, like, you end up playing those games so zoomed out mm. that, like, yes, the tech demo of, like, benchmarking with Warhammer 3 can really put a system through its paces. Sure. You never play like like the benchmark test would <laughs> do, right? It's like you're always zoomed way the hell out, and right. so you don't, you're not really dealing with, like, lots of little detailed textures. I fired up The Witcher 3 because uh, it had that big, like, ray tracing patch a few months back, uh-huh. and that was just an interesting example of, uh, well, one, that game is control wise, not aged as well as I might think. It's like yeah. it, it doesn't feel real good. <laughs> uh, it's it, I guess that's kind of a hallmark of that series is every time around they get each game feels better than the last in a lot of ways, but uh-huh. none of them feel necessarily good. But the other weird thing is just um, I am pretty like. It all feels like a lot of intense options have been retrofitted on a game that doesn't really like fully support them. Um, and so <laughs> like game looked really good in some places, but then you would also get wild artifacting in, uh-huh. in other places um, just because it sort of felt like the game can't really handle some of the, the, the lighting uh, stuff that it is, it is trying to do even with the, the hardware you've got. Uh, the, the other thing of course is like, you know, there's a point where some of these old games, you just start like throwing bigger textures into them and throwing like more realistic lighting across them. But you can't really conceal the fact that like it's a 10 year old game. And right. So it's like right. it gets it gets kind of a weird thing where it's like this doesn't really it doesn't look like it goes together anymore. <laughs> it doesn't. Yeah. It's a new coat of paint, but you can tell the, the wood's not good underneath. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's like, well, we, we, you know, some of these materials, well, that's the other thing is it exaggerates so much. Right. The difference between main character models and then everything else in the world. Like, those things, like, there's kind of no upper limit to how good you can make Geralt look in that game. <laughs> but 
dipshit villager number six sure. uh, does not have it's not a whole <laughs> lot of like headroom for yeah. like how cool that dude can look uh so yeah uh it is it's a it's it's a lot of fun so far uh it, nice. like i and it is a it has not caused uh any any domestic strife which has been <laughs> quite the opposite in fact <laughs> Uh, I can't believe you might end up with two of these things in your house at some point. That's hopefully amazing. not for not for a while. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was a it was a very pointed like you know I miss having a nice PC that I can yeah. play good games on. Yeah. <laughs> oh. You play anything else? Uh, mostly uh, Destiny. You know. You know, back on that weekly grind. It's mm-hmm. been good. A little weird. Uh, mm-hmm. Just because of uh, Lance Reddick's passing, you know. And also because this the storyline, this... Uh, uh, slight spoilers if you haven't been playing and care about uh, things that happen in Destiny 2. Skip forward a minute. Uh, the 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 storyline has to do with another character's passing. Mm. Uh, uh, Amanda, the shipwright, uh, was killed last week. And Isn't this, she a character who's been around for a long time? Yeah, since like since the beginning of D D two, at least you know. Yeah. Um, and you know, there's like obviously like th- these things get recorded and made like way in advance, but there's like a lot of grieving Commander Zavala in here, which is kind of a wild thing to like, you know, hear after yeah. after after yeah. So like it's been weird. I've been having trouble kind of assessing how I feel about the storyline. It feels uh, I don't know. It, it, it it's like you can tell like when they originally uh uh, announced like here's where uh destiny is going they they didn't announce they announced uh the final shape they announced the witch queen they didn't announce lightfall and then lightfall was later added as like okay actually instead of only two ex- two more expansions we're doing three um in a lot of ways you can you can tell that not just in the campaign but also in like the seasonal content that feels a little uh half baked does i feel like too strong but um Given how strong some of the more recent weekly uh, uh, storylines have been, like it, they're not punching at their full at their full weight class, you know. Um, and it feels kind of weird that they're hitting. They're, they they've hit this beat a lot of like character mm-hmm. death of like first it was like Cade, but like as they go on, just like more people can permanently die in the game because like not everyone is a guardian and they're like really trying to, I don't know, like between like the amount of times they've hit this particular beat of like, Oh, beloved character dies and then everyone grieves. And the way that this feels like kind of almost a little rushed in general, like things move maybe a little faster than they have in last and previous seasons. Um, it it's almost like oh we're doing this we're doing this again and it, it feels like you're rushing it this time uh, which is unfortunate yeah. um aside from that like i think you know 
mechanically it's been it's been a fun time like there's the a lot of the weekly stuff is a little more engaging than it's been previously but narratively it's, it's like a little strange a little off yeah i'm curious like it's such a weird hearing some of this thing just from what like what i remember of destiny i think part of it is definitely that it's kind of a weird vibe just introducing this concept of mortality in a game whose like assumptions from the ground up that effectively you're part of a army of immortals. Right. Uh, which like, I agree. It, like it is tough to maintain a lot of good drama around an army of people who are unkillable. Right. Uh, and will just like get up and, and keep coming. And you sort of run into this thing of like, well, why do people who aren't guardians do anything at all? Uh, I would I would simply send guardians right. to these missions and not and a not. person who could like take a stray. <laughs> Absolutely, I mean, and like they, they like push a lot of like this is a this is an attack on two fronts. Like the guardians are busy over in, um, uh, on Neptune, the, the yeah, other new spot. So like, you're you the know. only guardian going on this one. <laughs> you and your fire team. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's and but like right. the. There's the thing is that they've they, they've kind of been tying into since like like almost two years ago now with Beyond Light or even earlier Shadowkeep, they have been pulling on the like sort of relationship between guardians and people and other people, right? Non guardians, people who can die and do eventually yeah. die, and like kind of pulling on drama in that way and like talking about grief in that way. Like there's actually. Uh, last year, one of the better storylines we learned about, you know, kind of Zavala's, uh, uh, like lost, uh, lost a, a wife and a son that we like only heard like the names of rarely, but like got the deeper story of that. And that was actually pretty well written. And like, you know, they focus yeah. on the idea of like, you know, being the, being like survivor's guilt, all that. Like, it actually was interesting. But like, you you hit those beats with a person that was much closer to like yeah. more personally close to Zavala, and now you're hitting them again with Zavala again for a, a character who rarely we saw interact with. Like we knew they yeah they were both in the tower, but they didn't give us a lot of like those characters are in the same. One space of them was a B tier quest giver, <laughs> right? A, like vendor, like yeah. that's yeah. Ultimately, it's like. Oh no! It's the person you buy cool ship cosmetics from. No, <laughs> and like, I don't know. Like, I, I there's also there's there's even people who are like that who like did care for Amanda as a character. She had like various storylines going on. Like one of them slightly more uh, looked into like side characters, and it yeah. it it feels like. Like we all know that Cade got off because they didn't want to pay Nathan Fillion anymore. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> like you know, this feels more like manipulation is strong, but like the idea of like we want to tug, we need to tug at more drama, and this is the only way we can find it right now. Like we're we're kind of running out of ideas. To fill space between our big plots that we already plotted out, right? Like is it Lightfall being added it, in the middle of two large expansions that they had been planning for like half half a decade already is like oh, 
it's a little we're spinning wheels. We did this and it hit once. Maybe we can do it again. If they also get back themselves in a situation where like now their problem is maybe too much stuff is being made to happen. Like there's too much plot. Like right. Well, Destiny, yeah. The rap was always like one. There's content desert uh, from yes. this, like launch of both games. Really, uh, you know, initially had like rocky launches where it's like, well, we've sucked all the marrow out of this, yeah. and it's been like a month. Now what? And but I think the weird thing is that Destiny was also very good at like without calling too much attention to it being a world that didn't necessarily change very much, right? Where it's like, it's always kind of mm. like, yeah, things are always kind of tight for the tower. Like there's always like big stuff happening in the background or has recently happened. But for the most part, you sort of load in uh weird choral music plays. You go, you hang out on a, <laughs> like, you know, yeah. <laughs> you hang out on like a rocky outer planet or a moon. You shoot at things for a while and you come back and it's yeah. like only you could have done that, Guardian. Anyway, here's a <laughs> little here's a little like lore beat you get yeah. and a piece of piece of loot. It was it was all kind of good at that. And it sort of seems like the direction for a long time, it, it, it seemed like it was the direction that like you and a lot of people were, wanted to see the game go in of like lots of reasons to log in because like cool events are happening. The world there are yeah. state changes happening in the world. There's more narrative stuff happening in the world but uh certainly like i've seen some folks who are like now the pace of change is such that a lot of people feel like the fomo is really high and there's a lot of like you just miss the bus on it's really easy to sort of to to miss the bus or miss the moment on a lot of big story beats but the other thing is that like now the game has this atmosphere of like Oh, things are always changing. Like, where'd this character go? Uh, they died, and they died tragically. Uh, yeah. You know, fighting for <laughs> the tower, and to a degree, it's like I don't know. It, it like I think there's a bit of tension there between sort of like handling the narrative it that way, it, the narrative in that way, yeah, and also having destiny be that like chill hangout spot where it's like you go in. You make your rounds at the tower, right. you chat up the same people, you go out, and you have kind of like medium low stakes adventures. Right, right. Yeah, it's, yeah, I mean, that game still exists in there, right? There's, um, yeah. they've, they've just kind of added this other layer of like, if you want the kind of appointment viewing, you know, yeah. like situation, like uh, that happens, that happens in Destiny now as well. And, um, but then um, you also have the like, so what happened to Amanda? Why can't I go buy shit from Amanda? Buy, yeah. Which is very funny. I like noticed and didn't put two and two together, but I probably should have that. As soon as Lightfall launched, they move all of Amanda's stuff to Rahul. They just moved mm. all her of her like uh, things that she normally sold to a different NPC. And I was like, I yeah, guess. Is, is he still it, in the. Uh, fuck. What are the, what's the name for the unscanned loot? Engrams. Yeah. Engrams. Is he yeah, still yeah. your Engrams guy? Yeah. Yes. Yes. He's still here. And he's. <laughs> but now he's also like, I have some cool skins. Yeah. Now I have all, the, all these skins now. Uh, it's just like, uh, he was, he's more central. Like yeah. where, when you load in, he's like one of the first ones you can get to. And Amanda was always kind of off to the side. So it's like, oh, I guess they're just moving some stuff to be a little more streamlined if you're like jumping into the tower. And then it was like, oh, 
Oh, that's why. That's why that happened. It's because they were are getting the new, rid of her. And uh, this is the other thing I'm kind of curious about. Are like the new generations of like characters you're going to interact with a lot and yeah. like chat up. Are they on the level as the people who are sort of like being rotated out? Right. Like right. So I think this was the other thing is like Nathan Fillion has a shtick for sure. Yeah. He's very good at that shtick. Cage <laughs> written to like for leverage that, that. Stick, yeah and to me the game felt like less fun when he wasn't out there doing the whole like you know i'm the sort of the bad boy leader of the hunters <laughs> and i'm like hell yes uh this is this is sort of this is our avatar and like he sort of like again what was the um i always forget the name of it it's not iron banner it was like the iron like it followed um Lords of Iron? Yes. Yeah. I think the Iron Lords might have been. What yeah, it's the called. Iron Lords. Where it was like the roles traditionally played Rise, by our, Rise of Iron is the name of the actual expansion. Destiny. But it was about like the Iron Lords. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Iron Banner, Saladin, etc. But it was like the new uh, coming on the heels of Taken King, which was like. All right. your like S tier characters doing stuff uh, yeah. like high stakes everywhere. Rise of Iron was like, here's a cast of new supporting characters. And I just didn't like <laughs> didn't vibe with them. Uh huh. Yeah. And I'm curious, like, have they succeeded in like it is unfortunate. Like, it really is upsetting that Lance Reddick passed away, especially because like. He seemed like he, he, like. It's very easy, and uh, this is like how I sort of felt about. It. I was very complacent on Lance Reddick because uh-huh. I figured we'd have like fifteen more years, twenty more years of like <laughs> him doing various performances, right? right. Like Lance Reddick was going to be there for a while, yeah. uh, and and now he's not. But like, even setting that aside, like yes, they couldn't have they couldn't have planned for that. But do they have anyone in the wings who's going to step up and like be sort of the narrative anchor point that Zavala was not just in the sense of the person who's going to be central to the narrative, but like who can actually carry that load who can in the like really narrow constraints of what a destiny NPC can do and how you can interact with them can sort of give the game an identity and a vibe and a sense of like humanity. Right. Um, I mean, and we, we talked a little bit about this, uh, back Last uh last week 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 and a half ago, uh there's just something so commanding about Lance Reddick's like performance that even if like they've put the time into a bunch of other characters that could maybe like step up and take that like I don't know Lance Reddick is just somehow giving like the performance of a lifetime in in a video game voiceover session in a way that's just like. Uh, it doesn't feel like other people can or will or like are like not due to like lack of effort. Just like he just commanded such a, he had such a commanding presence. He's and like, like he's got that, like, you know, so often a lot of his roles are like, like, like going back to the wire, right? Like Daniels right. is sort of your serious, he is the commander there yeah. and he is like sort of like, serious career careerist uh etc and so he, he like he plays all those characters and and still imbues them with a lot of like humanity so they don't seem like martinets uh, right. in that but 
you also got the sense from just him as a personality outside of his performances that he also had the spirit of a scenery chewing ham and like <laughs> yeah. new, like, Absolutely. you know what I mean? I, and I feel like for video game voice acting, especially you kind of need both those instincts of right. like totally. can sell stuff really easily and like be just sort of like charismatic while delivering really boilerplate information. But I think that has helped if you are also someone who's like, yes, I can hear that like, this is ridiculous. And the thing to do here is grab hold with both hands and go hard. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there was uh, uh, a really great, to that point, there was a really great uh, season like last year uh, where Zavala was kind of the focal point for uh, a lot of it. And it, uh, it ended with him, with the commander Zavala being betrothed to a cabal. Uh like in order to form what the fuck an is happening in order to form an alliance <laughs> and now Kai, Kai, hold on, it was actually good but also kind of played a little bit funny like wait are you getting married and like it was like just i, I don't remember specific lines but like, i remember the delivery of his kind of like worry but also like i have to do this because it's my duty in order to make this alliance work uh like lance reddick played that beautifully it, it worked <laughs> and like yeah it sounds ridiculous but like no destiny has brought forward a lot of specifically characters from the like quote-unquote enemy like factions that are now like oh we've got Mithrax from the Fallen, the Lixney, like they're living in the city now. We've got Keitel the from the Cabal. We formed alliance with them. She's been around and like was actually a big part of the Lightfall uh storyline because she's uh Callus, you know, Emperor Callus's daughter. Um and we saw a lo- of that long storyline with her and her her dad come to a come to a head in this. Um and like it feels, you know, you can see things moving towards conclusion, you know? Um, and so they've they've added all these extra characters, but there isn't Yeah, it's 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 odd. It's just like it's gonna be hard because Zavala was so central in like he wasn't he wasn't a cipher, but like the closest the closest like to the closest to that you you could get i guess from whoever was left of like people the people that are more likely to like kind of relate to or cling on to is going to be zavala especially in his later like roles as like a person who is much more uh, aware of his uh traumas affecting him <laughs> which was again a, a Destiny has changed a lot since Destiny 1 or even just the beginning of Destiny 2. Um and um yeah, it's going to be it's going to be tough to 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 fill that fill that role, fill those shoes. Yeah. Um what's well, kind of a I don't know. I I'm I'm curious. I'm I'm actually curious to like uh check back in with you on Destiny. I'm curious where you're going to be in like 6 months with Destiny. Like admittedly yeah. interest naturally wanes. Like it seems like you fall into that rhythm too of like you fall away from the game for a while between major expansions. Uh, right. but you've always been someone who's like it always sort of seemed like your rhythm was you could get back into it as we got nearer to an expansion, stuff was popping off. Yeah. And then you would be really into it for a while around the, <laughs> an expansion and I'm curious like if uh, some of this stuff is going to come back around for you or if like we are in that process of 
slowly one's relationship with the game <laughs> begins to change and, and wane. Yeah. Yeah. They always they always find their their way to pull me back in though. Um but you know, this job also like pushes that a little bit where like sure I could keep playing Destiny, but then <laughs> I don't have time for anything else. <laughs> And I gotta yeah. get ready for I gotta get ready for Zelda. I gotta make the space for Zelda. <laughs> it's very true. Uh, uh all right. Well, uh let us you know what? Before we go, we should dip into the question bucket. Uh remember you can send us all your questions at gamingadvice.com with the subject line questions. Uh so Let's see. We have an email here from uh, Jake. Hey, Waypointies. After recent discussion on the pod regarding the Metroid Prime and Resident Evil 4 remakes, along my own recent experience of going back and playing a bunch of From Software's old titles from the 90s and early 2000s, I've been thinking a lot about how wildly different control schemes were then and how they've (laughs) largely been normalized now. Both Metroid Prime and Resident Evil 4's original releases had tank control schemes that did not allow for free aiming unless the character was stationary. Their remakes now allow for the modern twin-stick control scheme basically all 3D games have decided on. Along with this, all of the early first-person from soft games, as well as the Armored Core series, used an archaic combination of the D-pad, bumpers, and triggers for movement (laughs) and camera controls before swapping to the modern control scheme near the end of the PS2's releases. Amazing. Maybe I'm just a sicko, but a large part of my enjoyment in going back to old games is the satisfying feeling of getting acclimated to controls that might seem unorthodox at first. With most new games feeling similar to play from the jump, it's harder to get the satisfaction, and I'm often left feeling like I already know how to play one of these. Is there something lost upon most modern 3D action games sharing controls, or have we simply reached peak gaming? Are there any recent games that you can think of that buck this trend? Thanks for all the great stuff over the years. Jake the Tank Controls Enjoyer from Chicago. Uh, I do, I don't, I feel like there's, you know, there's, 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 there's limits to this obviously, but like, I do think there's something to be said for how some of those games, like I'm thinking specifically of Kingsfield (laughs) four and how we were playing it and how some of the, that, you know, the difficulty and the like uh just the way that everything was placed in the world all was very obviously you know designed with the the, the specific control structures that they had yeah. in mind to a certain degree there's also like you know you should obviously be able to remap any buttons that you want because that's important for accessibility and yes uh it it's, I mean, yeah. I, what I wish is, I wish more people would be willing to design around controls. Like when you get designs around controls, it's usually to the point of a of it being a a, a kind of specific gimmick, and not not to be not like to use gimmick as a pejorative at all. Just like that it has a specific thing it's going for, and that's why yeah. it's breaking away from uh like norms in the in the industry. Um, but you know like i i i do love how integrated the combat and the controls of kingsfield 4 played even though like it feels 
it feels wild to say that like you know turning left and right with the L L one and L two was ever a good idea, but I think it was right for what they were doing actually, right? Like, yeah. I, so for me, I think I think there's a couple things. Is one sometimes I do feel like maybe one of the big things we miss of having things get really standardized is we miss that good feeling of like neuroplasticity from like sure, learning yeah. to accommodate a ton of different ways to accomplish the same ends. Right. But I think also there's a bit of like, once you standardize controls, like this is how a game should work and how it should feel. You rule out other interpretations of like, I want to get at something else and I want right. to have a control yeah. scheme that gets it. Like this is like, Natalie and I are not being ironic when we play System Shock 1 and we're like, look at all this like wild, ridiculous stuff you can do. Right. That game is doing a lot of things in profoundly different ways from a lot of modern shooters. And some of it is just like, yes, like these are rough edges that need to be needed to be sanded down. But in some cases, it's like, oh, yeah, it's just like more degrees of motion that they found like valuable here. Uh, there's right. more ways of interacting with the world that they that they wanted to be here i think similarly like if you look at resident evil like you know this is not an original thought but there is a lot to be said for having if you want to put players in positions of vulnerability and Mm -hmm. like keep them sort of on a knife's edge then you have to take away the superpowers that like really good snappy control schemes give you right you know what i mean it's like like a good example of this is, um, you know, the, I guess like one, one analogy I would use is, uh, like the call of duty model of how guns feel Hmm. is very like stabilized for the most part. They're very accurate. They sort of like, it's sort of point and shoot. Yeah. And I was like, been way more into the, like, you know, hell let loose a red orchestra type thing of like, you know, a submachine gun is not going to hit someone from very far away. It is going to just that those shots are going to go everywhere. Yeah. Uh, if you like a bolt action rifle is incredibly deadly, but it requires a ton of like skill to use. And you're not going to be able to like get shots off very quickly. You're going to have to sort of pause and, and regather. And I think that sort of stems to like motion as well, where you, you, you have characters that's like, yeah, they're not easy to move. Right. Uh, they don't turn corners very quickly. They don't like, turn around and take off sprinting like effortlessly. And that kind of changes what is possible. It changes the feeling of the horror. Like for instance, you know, think about, you know, playing resident evil two right now versus coming off of resident evil one mm-hmm. and resident evil two. In a lot of cases, if I'm in a bad situation and the hallway is clear behind me, I can just take off and run. And, <laughs> right. I'll easily outrun everything's I'll just sort of zip through the halls and I'll, I'll, I'll run to safety. Resident Evil one. It's like you'd be, you know, your, your, your controls were chunky. Your camera angle was a little bit disorienting and you would sort of end up in positions where it's like, I'm not sure how, like I don't immediately have an instinctual, like I need to run and I know what running away to safety is going to be like. I can immediately like sort of translate that into action. And I think a lot of modern game design kind of does do that. And I think that takes away some tension and removes some possibilities for like the way the game can feel uh, in in terms of like how you will interact with the world and how combat is going to feel. 
it definitely feels like a a, a, a tough line to ride to, right? Because there's a certain point after which like frustration starts to set in of like, why can't I just do the thing I wanted to? Like yeah. this this game is pushing too hard on uh my ability to interact with it. Um I'm like, I don't know, but like partially I do think like, you know, obviously given that it's it's the controls might not have, but like the idea of Resident Evil uh one has stood the test of time. They like found that line, right? They found like like this is enough to make the tension intense, but not enough to uh totally um uh scare people off the 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 thing altogether um and i think i mean yeah it just feels like in general there's a lot less of that sort of risk taking going on in des- in the design space especially in AAA, right like that that's like it's it's always going to be widest net possible uh and so like you have to look to to indies to get any sort of like weirdness going on, but uh, even then, it's like um, it feels like a it feels like an area that that more people aren't uh, not. I would like lo- I would love to see more people into uh, experiment with uh, because it always feels like that's the one place where even even across like you know, from indies all the way up to triple A's, there is a standardization that's happened there. Um, and it doesn't have to be that way. Make your, make your controls weird on purpose. Have a purpose to it is also important though. Right. It's like, not just like make it weird, like have some intention behind the design of it. (laughs) I know. But even if you do that, like I do wonder about the, patience people have to learn these things like i like this is the and i don't just mean in the in the sense that like busy critics will be like and and people like or who are doing let's plays are going to be like i don't get this it's like we're five minutes in ten minutes in i'm lost this doesn't feel intuitive Uh fuck this game i'm not just talking about that i like i think it's also the like demoing the game it shows problem of like hey this game might superficially resemble a bunch of things that you're familiar with but none of that familiar knowledge is necessarily going to serve you well uh and you're going to have to figure out an awful lot on the on the fly so i I think there's there's real obstacles to doing it uh but i'm with you like it's it's that sort of it's that tension between on the one hand there's a lot of benefit from having the game be instantly translatable to the player right but on the other hand, you start running back into the how do you stand out uh, problem of like, what is this game doing? that's that different. Yeah. Um, especially because like, you know, cool art style isn't going to do it anymore. Uh, tons of games have cool art styles. Yeah. Like we are we are a pack like, peak, like <laughs> ooh, this is a this is a, you know, insert conventional genre here. But like, look at this art style. Right. There's a million of those. So yeah. like we're past the days when that would sort of distinguish you. And so like I, I do like the weird thing is like control schemes can be alienating, but they can also be kind of the thing that's like, oh, wait, this is this feels good. Yeah, uh, this is this is hitting this is this is hitting me in a different different way. But yeah, that is yeah. uh Yeah, that that is that that's that's that subject. Uh, somebody wrote in, <laughs> I think it was unsigned. Um 
All right. Hey there, way past the point of no returnees. Well, at least I tried. <laughs> now that Rob is gearing up for a new PC build, can I get oh. him interested in our Lord and Savior, the custom water cooling build? I took the proverbial plunge into custom water cooling 11 years ago when a sudden raise in income led me to go from never having even done an AIO build to importing a custom Aqua computer, an NVIDIA GTX 680 from Germany, and strapping a 2 by 200 millimeter phobia radiator on top of a Shinobi XL chassis. It's not pretty, but it served me well ever since. I don't know what those mean. What are you talking about, Jesse? So during the pandemic, this is where things get weird. So during the pandemic, I decided to take what I learned a decade ago and go a bit crazy. Why have a PC on top of your desk when you can turn your desk into a PC? Oh, or as God. I like to call it, a desk bottom PC. This build took me a couple of months and included cutting out the sides of the cabinet part of my desk for ports and air intakes and running tubes through the top of the desk so that the only things on top are the coolant reservoir and the radiator. Upsides, it is very cool, quiet, and I'm very pleased with how it looks. Also, there is zero chance of a potential burglar taking it anywhere. Downsides, upgrading the parts is going to be a nightmare. (laughs) Here's a link to my YouTube channel. Wow. Uh, if you want to check it out, God, I'm going to link this to you now. Uh, and we are going to look at this whole situation. Uh, oh, wow. It's me? like a. Um, that is a very old school. De- this is like a, a wood like this is like the the desk of the president of like a bank would sit behind. <laughs> Uh, is that just it, there seems to be some sort of bubbling water reservoir yeah, I'm, on top I'm concerned about that yeah it looks like some robocop like human fluid goo <laughs> that's like being pumped to keep the machine alive very large uh, glowy fans up top oh my god and then the pc is sort of just built into the left hand desk drawer spaces oh wow oh Look wow the, but the fans get like this weird cast of, like a porthole into like an aquarium almost yeah that's amazing. Uh, this is <laughs> a very cool. This is a very cool project. Uh, but yes, I think the practicality of ever changing the setup. Yeah. Begin like this is where there's a lot of things that like. I love people going sicko mode on their hobbies. That's this, spectacular. Is, this is this is very cool. Uh, and yes, also has all the drawbacks uh, that the, this person <laughs> wrote in about. Uh, this is this is a wild. Uh, it is it, it it is a wild uh, project. Uh, so is that just built? So that's just built into the wood. You have to. I feel like there's just too many holes in this. They must have. They must. There must be gaskets a, a plenty. I guess <laughs> to like seal everything because usually I, yeah. I like I feel like I want especially one that's going to be lower to the ground. You want a computer to be as close as you can, so there's not too much dust in there. Well, also when the computer, yeah. So when the camera dips around, then we start looking through the gra- the glass pane. Yeah, yeah. That looked like a lot of dust in that interior. Yeah, I don't like it. Is that and I'm like. <laughs> Is that just the RGB lighting showing off like, we, you know what I mean? The way like a those, UV light will like catch things or right. is this like some of the woodworking you did? That would be scratches. That might be like. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. The, I don't think 
I thought it was. I also thought it was dust. It at fills first. me with concern. I don't it feels- like it. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. Uh, also, do they have, does their RAM light up? They got LEDs on RAM now. What is happening oh, dude, out here? L- like LED RAM is <laughs> yes. This is this is uh, old. This is old tech now. Yes, These- people people love them. The lamb, the 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 lamb, the RAM that lights up. The CPU is all lit up too. I don't like this goo situation though. I've never seen so I I just have an an AIO so like I've never actually seen the goo that's in there. But knowing what the goo looks like is disconcerting for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's clear like they have the little like little model of a little like pink plastic brain on their desk. So they clearly like yeah. the weird uh like yeah. uh <laughs> like cybernetic vibe or bionic vibe yeah. of like the the machine. Uh, hey, this is going to come up because we're going to be doing some streaming. I think uh, tomorrow, maybe the t- by the time you're listening to this. But uh, Basil from Oakland writes, "Hi, y'all. First time, long time here. My question is, how do people watch your streams? Not literally, but rather, how does anyone have three to four hours in the middle of the day to watch Twitch?" Do people not actually watch the whole stream and just drop in for 15 minutes to say hi in the chat? Are they catching up at night? When do these folks play games or is that not a thing anymore? <laughs> My free time is probably more limited than the average Waypoint audience member. 35 full-time job, dad, etc. But my attempts to engage with your streams have felt weird. Do I start at the beginning? Why does every stream start with 15 minutes of dead air? Should I be trying to read the chat? If I only have 15 minutes, which 15 minutes should I watch? Do y'all watch and enjoy streams? If so, what do you get out of them? Try not to yell at clouds here. I'm just trying to understand how people enjoy this new format, so maybe I can too. And as the content creators, what do you get out of the experience of streaming that you don't get out of writing or podcasting? I'm yeah. my first, like, streaming is not for everyone. Uh, like, <laughs> there are... There are certain like types of entertainment that are just like long form and it's going to be lots of like shallow peaks and shallow valleys. Right. And there's people who want that. And I think that tends to fit our podcasts uh, in a lot of ways, like five star runtimes. It's not like if every minute is five stars. It's all firing <laughs> on all cylinders. The The point is that it's like a, th- you know, three hours, five hours of like good discussion. But like, right. I'm not going to say if you're like, I don't know if I want to hear people talk for five hours about last of us two or uh like pride and prejudice i don't know that that's like the best use of my time i am the first to say like probably not probably not <laughs> like you, you like you know it, it is like if, if you're sort of like not wow. enjoying that sort of sense of just hanging out with like your imaginary friends on the radio, which is what I did listening to games from windows radio, uh-huh. and like, you know, the early bomb cast, uh, you know, there are people who, for whom that really clicks and there's people for whom it does not. And I think streaming is actually, here's the weird thing. Streaming is even more. So I think streaming is even right. longer form than, than podcasting. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you can sort of say like viewer numbers go up the longer you're just up doing a stream. Uh, it is, you, you know, you are rewarded for, for staying live and the weird and, and it is a weird form of entertainment from the standpoint of like in the time a good stream plays out, you could have watched like 
half a season of a you know sh- sh- limited run series. Yeah. And if that like, sure. and if that's your point of comparison, you're like, I, I really need to put my time. Like, I want to use my leisure time, like having those sorts of like packed experiences. Uh, I don't. Yeah. Streaming is not streaming is not it. But I think there are a lot of people who love the background, like entertainment and sense of like being in a social space that yeah. comes with streaming. And it, it like it, it it's its own thing. I think I think that you hit a big thing there at the end with background is like, that's one of the big things that like people who do watch like a majority of a stream will do is like, it's not the only thing they're doing where like, if you're sitting down to watch a TV show, maybe you're having dinner at the same time. uh, And sometimes people pull out and scroll their phones while they're watching things, but it's, it's still the main activity. Right. But like, uh, I think like there's plenty of viewers who put us on at work in the in, in like a separate window in the background, and they're engaging in like kind of passively that way. Um, and then there's and then there's like as as the as the as the writer as the emailer mentioned, uh, people who just drop in right like you kind of see it in the numbers that there is the average viewership over over the length of the of the stream and then there's the unique viewership and that that number is always much bigger than you would expect given the average like the amount of different people that stop by for like at max like half an hour is like that's they're right it's mostly people checking in for a little bit getting to enjoy it and if they really want to follow along like say a series like sometimes people like will pick like i'm gonna watch motorsport manager and in order to do that Motorsport Manager is the only one of these streams I'm going to watch because it's 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 uh, a continuous narrative, right? Quote unquote, um, and like people will just like they'll watch one episode over like three days, right? They'll yeah. they'll do it that way. It's like you're making the choice to engage in that way and not engage with every single piece of content necessarily. Um, it's a it's a completely different, yeah. Like streaming, just like there's so many different levels that people engage with it on even yeah. just like between being like, yeah, a th- like, like a TV show that well, you're going to watch all the way through versus like a thing where if you caught 45 minutes of it kind of in the background of your work day, you, you still got something out of it. And it is like the, here's the thing. You can also see like part of what can, I think can throw people off is it seemed like, you know, as the, writer here sort of noted it feels to them like a a, a new form mm-hmm. and that's superficial i think because if you think about like the role that radio played mm. for even after tv like you know sure. had the advent of television uh radio was still sort of a constant background noise in a lot of workplaces uh in, in a lot of homes where it's like it is stuff you sort of half pay attention to and you know, it is, it is fun accompaniment for maybe a job that doesn't require all that much attention or interest from you. You just have to be there. Um, And so like, I I think in some ways the streaming can superficially look like a little mini TV show, but Mm -hmm. actually it's much closer to like AM radio. Right. Uh, Talk radio. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, like, and, like, I mean, my consumption of streams absolutely uh, 
tanked when I got this job. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, the second you're, like, doing any of it or, like, you know, editing audio is not a thing. I, can, I can't have something on in the background when I'm editing audio. So, like, no, they- I've just completely basically stopped watching a lot a lot of the old streams that i used to yeah. um before i started this specific job so it, it does depend on like what yeah if you're doing data entry and like you you won't get tripped up on someone speaking or if you have audio processing issues and you will then you can't engage in that way either it's just um it's a yeah it's it's i feel like there's probably more people and you can see this in the in like when you when you take note of chatting, right? Like the numbers, like the lowest number is always like how many unique chatters there were, yeah. and the highest number is always how many unique people were watching <laughs> at some point, um, because it yeah they're super long. It's hard to engage with it constantly. It's more like people have it on the background, and then something happens where they like, I have a thing I can comment on. They'll tab over, write that comment, then disappear for the rest of the, of the stream. Right. Um, and then you get those few that people that are like actively active in chat, but like that number just kind of, because you know, people have less time than you think. Yeah. It's yeah. I, I would say, I would also say like, Yes, my consumption of this type of stuff, like podcasts in particular, was at its peak when I was basically doing data entry. And mm-hmm. it was like eight hours a day, really nine hours a day, because uh, we, <laughs> we were given quotas and then a lunch hour. But, you know, if you didn't uh-huh. hit your yeah, quota, quota, maybe you wanted guess. to, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, and, like, there's a lot of people working jobs where it's like eight, nine hours of, like, kind of boring, uninteresting stuff uh, in an environment that doesn't necessarily feel, like, very satisfying to be in. And right. so like people will find their sort of mental escape from it where it's like in my head, I'm hanging out, you know, in the, you know, I'm, I'm hanging out in the office with this crew of people. Right. Uh, streaming sort of scratching the same itch. But yes, the minute you have like more demanding calls on your time and mm-hmm. then you need like to really carefully think about what do you, how are you spending like actual leisure time? Cause I don't think, I don't necessarily think that podcasts are, and certainly not streams. They're not necessarily leisure time activities. They're kind of like in those gray spaces. Right. But like when, like the minute you have that, like a place where it's like you, you have like time when you're sort of all, all the way on. Uh-huh. And then there's like actual leisure time. You may, you're going to end up making different choices yeah. about what you're, yeah. about what you're following. Uh, so that's that is my take on that. Uh, I think that is a wrap on today's episode of Waypoint Radio. If you want more from Waypoint, a quick you one. Follow- Real, yeah, really sped through this one. Honestly, like just <laughs> two hours, two people. Uh, spectacular. <laughs> Had to show we could do it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, also, basically, I did a solo sports cast in the middle of this, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> questions there was like a lot of yeah it was good it was good good back and forth yeah (laughs) Uh, if you want more from waypoint you can follow us on twitter at waypoint facebook and youtube waypoint vice you can follow me on twitter at rob zachney kato where are you i'm at a underscore kato underscore appears you can check out we published on waypoint.vice.com and hey thanks to waypoint plus we've been able to have a bunch of fun streams lately ren and i played some great war uh the western front uh, earlier this week and then Kato and I are 
going to lead Oberhof on its best season yet. Yeah. We're going back like we, if memory serves, we had invested a ton of money into one just, season upgrades to that car. Yeah. So once again, we are broke, <laughs> but we're broke with a good car. And a footy field. The, the, they can, the gents can play footy. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. This, the uh, Oberhof racing runs on bands. Uh, <laughs> So for and for our Waypoint Plus listeners, we'll have some stuff coming up soon. I think next week will be well. I think next week we'll, we'll record Mandy. Uh, we will we will right. hit Mandy next week, uh, and <laughs> then who knows where my turn will go following that. And of course, uh, we're, you know, as baseball is getting started here, we are due for another proper uh, episode of sports. If that sounds good, or you just want more Waypoint, you go to waypointplus.com and subscribe. Not only do you get access to our premium feed, but you're also helping support Waypoint and everything else we do here. And if you want to show not just support, but zeal, go to waypointgeneralstore.com and buy some of our fine Waypoint merch. Our theme music is by Bowen. The track is Miss You off the EP Pale Machine. Learn more at waypoint.zone slash B-O-E-N. For now, we are calling time on this week. We will talk to you again next week. Until then, fuck capitalism. Go home. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.